I forgot to uh, forgot to bring my sleeping pill with me. You need to change your uh, avatar. Do I? Mm-hmm. I usually take it partway through the show. We'll get you a better avatar here. I forgot it, so now I don't know what's going to happen. This has been weeks. Weeks you've had this one. I know. I know. I get lazy. Oh, there you go. You got uh, you got Kent. Incredibly grainy photo. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, it's a screen grab from a YouTube video, and it's one of those YouTube videos where the scofflaws are recording their television set as a workaround, as you say, a <laughs> workaround for the law. So what it's called? The, con- the content ID system doesn't pick that up. Like, it's the same. I know it's, like, on an angle and weird and faded and the audio is strange, but you <laughs> think it would be fuzzy <laughs> enough so, that it's still... It's so strange because they can pick up... I mean, there's stories about the YouTube content robot picking up, like, sounds in the background, like, picking up, like, a song on the radio, stuff like There's these banana stories. I mean, it's even setting aside the madness of people who didn't want their song taken down, being taken down or monetized or whatever. But it's, so what do you get? You get the classic is, there's three that have come to mind for me. The classic is, <laughs> and this is almost like declaring no take backs. I'm not sure if that has any legal standing, but like, okay, so if I take a, if I take a movie, if I make a movie with my phone of the TV while it's playing, you're not allowed to take it down. Uh, second one is, and this one's very interesting because I think they use science is you imagine like you're watching like a four by three, like, you know, old school TV show with, with uh, what do they call it? Letterboxing or whatever. And then they put like noise or other things around it. And the other new one that I've seen, especially with Spanish speaking people doing for some reason is having the straight HD video, but it's reversed it's mirror imaged. Have you encountered these things? I haven't seen the last two. The noise thing sounds clever, like maybe it'll throw off their uh, their video matching thing. Yeah. The flopping, that seems like an easy, like if they ever care to do it, that seems like an easy fix. You would just have to do a different uh, different slash in, uh, in Perl for that. Exactly. It's called a, a greedy numerator. Is that flopping? That's what, that's what Todd says. He says it's flopping. Flopping. Oh, is that what that's called? Flopping. It's like flooping the pig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some, something you do sometimes on a show. Huh, flopping. I thought flopping was when you... You, you flop uh, the show, you flip the pig. You flip the pig, yeah. take down the corn huskers, get your ancient scholar. Um, I don't know if there's... Because I think there is an attempt, in this case of the second one, there are sometimes attempts to be scientific about it. So sometimes it's just, ha ha, you can't get me because I'm showing the video with other things around it. So like they've Thomas Jefferson that, so that they've, they've added some... Uh, Improvements to the prior art? It's a transformative work, because the tel- television is playing in a room, you see. Are Larry Lessig's uh, glasses getting smaller? Is that is that forced perspective, John? How does that work? His, his head's just getting bigger. You, oh, you are familiar with this goodness. phenomenon, as, as a man whose head is also getting bigger. Mm, I don't know about that. Oh, it's getting bigger. My head? Yes, your head. You see it look, in photos. Look at the pictures think. of you in your 20. You look like a normally proportioned person. No, because my hair. No, no, that's a Peter Jackson thing. That's just because my hair was wider. <laughs> no, it's not a forced perspective thing with your hair. That's... It's like people thinking the moon's bigger because it's close to the horizon. No, that's no, just because no. you have more to compare it to. That's no, science, they, John. Your, your skull grow, grows your entire life, even no. after you're dead, just not, like your fingernails. Not factual. Earlobes, fingernails, <laughs> I'll buy it. Vestigial tail, maybe. No way is my head getting bigger. If anything, it's getting smaller. My Cincinnati Reds cap. <laughs> doesn't fit as well as it used to yeah you, know, you got to do is uh 
instead of uh, every morning when you wake up is stepping on the scale or whatever, mm-hmm. you just got to get one of those baby head circumference measuring tapes and just wrap that around your noggin every morning and just write that in your dream journal. Yeah, you made me spit sense. Oh, I think we got a product here. We can, we can see if we can sell this to the Withings family of products. Baby, what is it called? Baby, baby, baby head circumference measuring tape. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Could it be Wi-Fi? You would step into it. You know, like when you back in the day, you go to your doctor's office. You stand on that that, that certain kind of scale, and they get your weight. While they got your lit weight, they'd move the little dingus up with the flat thing to see how tall you were. It would not be that difficult to add a baby's circumference measurer to that. Yeah, I miss that kind. You of, miss that scale. You know the scale. It's like it wobbles horizontally when you know the, the part you stand on goes yeah. goes forward and backwards, but not up or down. and Doesn't tilt. And you, right? you go and in increments increments of like ten, and then you flip it a flippity jibbity that to get uh, the little ones. It's like an abacus for weight. Right. And the, the physician's assistant taps the little weights in, with a, in an expert manner of just guessing clunk, clunk, and then the smaller one clunk, clunk, and then the little one tap, 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 and it balances. I love that. I haven't seen that in years. Yeah, me neither. Those are the days. My scale has a lot of variability to it. But, you know, I really should find out about the circumference <laughs> of my head. The scale that makes you, that uh, clocks you as weighing more after you pee? You heard about this. Yeah. I don't knows. get it as much as I used to. I, I, I want to say Brian Mason, somebody who's smart and reliable, he had the same phenomenon. He would weigh more after he peed, and we talked about this. Oh, you should, so you should try it. I've got a theory for you. Okay. You pee helium. I pee helium. <laughs> That's a great fake name. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got for the... Uh... Tale from Mr. Helium? Mr. I pee helium? I pee helium, yeah. and would it make a whistling noise when it comes out? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's like it's only one way to find out. <laughs> just, gotta squee- just gotta squeeze the nozzle a little bit. <laughs> you ready to start the show, John? I'm a mess. Oh my god, I am such a sack of messes right now. I'm trying not to think about it. I know this will air after the world has already ended. You, you any questions you want to ask me about what I'm doing tomorrow? So tomorrow, yeah, we're recording this on uh, Monday, oh, November 7th, yeah, the right. day before America's season finale, as I just saw, saw it referred to on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, be on, I'll be on jury duty. I got called. I thought, you, I thought you got out of that. No, no, I was okay for yesterday. But got to be there, 845 tomorrow, Superior Court. You so that's, come, that's where I'm going to uh, spend my move day. Move to uh, Taxachusetts. Um, <sighs> what is it? There's some motto. It's like... Uh, one day, one jury, or something like that. Anyway, the whole they point do that is here. That yeah, one. Yeah, they have the same thing here. When the video that I've seen like a dozen times now, where they were explaining that one man, one day, one jury. But I thought you already did it, and you said they didn't pick you. Oh, you mean last time is in the last time you went to jury duty? Well, oh, okay. So I just described this on another program. But last time I got called, I narrowly avoided being seated for a multi-month felony trial. Um, I always get called. I, I am jury crack. I always get called. And uh, I just knew it. I just knew I was coming home today with my daughter. Like, I'm in, I'm being unusually inattentive and staring at my phone and reloading the web page. It's like, yep, your group got called. So I called them up and I said, hey, uh, you know, is there any accommodation for, like, voting? And they're like, oh, the polls are open until late. You can go when you're done. <laughs> okay, thanks. So, I mean, my ballot's all filled out. I, got, I did the mail-in ballot, but I hadn't mailed it. And I was just going to drop it off. Because it's very near my house, it's very easy to just drop off. But anyway, whatever. I'm a I'm a, I'm a stress ball. You don't seem stressed. I don't understand it. You you say over the weekend you kind of passed through. I this. was. I'm I'm trying to I try to. It's like the calm, you know. Like I don't know, something terrible is going to happen, and then like right before it happens, you find yourself weirdly calm. Yeah, commander but thinks I, a lot. I was getting agitated again by reading Twitter just yeah. before. It's just like 
So what uh, I think Mike Ash tweeted, it's like the day before a big test and every single person in the class needs to pass and you can't make any of them study. Mm. It's not helping. No. I just like I feel like now we're just we should just fast forward to the end. Just yeah. let's let's you know, let's get this over with. All right. Anyway, it's kinda like that uh sketch on the Mr. Show program. Yeah, by the time you hear this it will all be over. And uh, we'll, we'll either... If you wanted to talk about the election, you should have called in during the free will episode that we <sighs> haven't done yet. Yeah. I, no, I, I told you I told you on the text that, uh, that I, I could use an easy one tonight. I'm up for anything. As you know, I'm always ready. I look forward to this for two weeks. And then I get... It's, you, know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like Jackson, Jackson Brown in the loadout. You know, I spend all that time in, 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 the, in the bus watching Richard Pryor on the video. And then I want to stay just a little bit longer. So, you know, I'm, the, I'm your oyster tonight. <laughs> That was a lot of references there. I got a lot of problems, John. <laughs> oh, I didn't make a good dinner. I had a good dinner. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by MailRoute. You can learn more about MailRoute right now by visiting mailroute.net slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Hey, gang, you know who should handle your email security and delivery? Big surprise. You're going to want people who do only that, and that is MailRoute. These are email nerds. That is all that they do, and they are really good at it. They've been doing it for a very long time. All the big companies are bowing out of the email protection business these days because you know what? It is hard work. Postini went away. Now McAfee and MX Logic. Google even came out and said that they want you to use a gateway service like MailRoute so they don't have to filter your Google Apps mail. How about that? So who do you trust to do that job properly and stick around? How about MailRoute? Their team has been focused entirely on email security since 1997. MailRoute protects your email and your hardware against spam, viruses, and other threats, and they deliver your mail even when your mail server cannot. There is no hardware or software to install. If you own your domain, that's all you need to use MailRoute. Their interface is easy to navigate. It is loaded with admin tools. It's even got an API. It's all designed to make your life better. No spam, no viruses, and no bounced mail. So whether you're a small home business or a huge ISP, MailRoute handles customers of all sizes and provides the same level of outstanding tech support to everyone. MailRoute protects your email from spam and viruses and guarantees mail access during outages. That's it. That's all they do. They don't do anything else, and they do it better, and they've been doing it longer than anyone else. So stop spam today. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at MailRoute.net slash diffs. And because you're a listener to this show, you'll get 10% off for the lifetime of your account. Our thanks to MailRoute for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. We don't have too much in terms of follow-up. Um, I mean, I don't have any... We, don't, we can skip my follow-up. Do you have any other follow-up? Is that from this week or last week, the one that's in the notes? <sighs> Both now. All, all I'm going to say about this is my... I will say that... And don't worry, there's no spoilers here. Yet, no. There's no spoilers. Uh, my my uh, being on the fencedness about the zombie program. Um, I not only <laughs> that night after we finished recording the last episode, which was right after the elderly pets episode, uh, I went I went home and I did watch the end of S seventy one, and the end was a lot better than the rest of it. Uh, the very end. Um, but then, yeah, I've watched the two subsequent ones. I thought I thought S seventy two was quite good, and I like I like last night's too. But uh, anyway, just just to say, it was short lived. I guess my my utter revulsion passed, and I'm I'm back. 
Yeah, like I said, we have... I don't think anyone is wants to endure an entire season. That's just like the first episode. But, but you, I assumed it wouldn't be like that. And season right. two, episode two was a big break for it. My wife had me pre-watch episode three to like tell her whether it was safe. And I said, you know, it's like you, it concentrates on this character in this situation for the whole episode. But it is yeah. not as bad as the first episode. It's not it's not as maybe light as the second episode. But anyway, I think she's going to watch it's, it. I mean, it's it is uh, it's disturbing within normal parameters. Oh, good. But I listen back and I think you're wrong. I think you, you, you don't even know what you think I'm wrong about. Or rather, don't I? You're, you're, you're arguing uh, with a fictional version of me. Which one am I again? That believes things that I don't actually believe. You you do that. You do that. Oh. You do that with me no, all the no. time. No. You, you put words in my non-existent mouth. <laughs> you know how that makes me feel? I do. I'm Merlin Mann. It makes me feel this way. Yeah. I was doing the hand puppet thing. <laughs> I'm just glad you know my name. Makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's nice to be here. Um, boy, eight forty-five. Be right there, right there. <laughs> just, just sitting there. I already, I already got my phone charger ready. I'm just going to be sitting there, just being a stress ball all day. Because you know, aren't you still okay? Last thing, I know the election's over and it turned out how it did. But I mean, isn't there still some part of you? Let's set aside the part that I'm actually worried about, which is what the f is going to actually happen after this goes either way. There's no way this isn't horribly ugly for America. Let's set that aside. That's the part that's really gnawing at me. See, I'm, I'm, I have the flip side of you. Like, I am not worried about what will happen if Hillary wins. I'm you're, not. You're, you're sanguine. I think, I, I mean, what I think is I think everything will eventually be okay if that's the case. Mm. goes the other way, I'm more concerned. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, but isn't there... I remember... When uh, when Mr. Obama won, I just remember this feeling of like, oh my God, I hope he, I hope he makes it. I mean, I'm not trying to be morose and I'm not trying I to know, be overly dramatic, but I honestly, I remember feeling in the days after he was elected, before he was even sworn in, I was like, I mean, I don't want to say it out loud, but like, I was really worried that something was going to happen to him, and yep. I was, uh, how do I say this? I I I still worry about it. Yeah, I had that same thought through all eight years of Obama's presidency. Yeah. Like, just amazed that, you know, that he has made it this far. That there were so few, th- I mean, like, you think about, it felt like, um, I, I know this is just how a funny thing of childhood memory, but it seemed like there were, there was at least a couple, I mean, there was a squeaky from thing with um, Gerald Ford. There was Gerald Ford, at least in the media, portrayed as always falling down, and he seemed very hazard prone. And then there was the thing, I remember, I was at SeaWorld in 1981 on the day that Reagan Mm-hmm. was attacked and um it's, it's it's interesting that how few things we've heard about do you know what i mean doesn't it seem weird yeah like it just, like I, I i don't think that we've gotten so much better no i just think we don't hear about it maintaining the safety of the president it's just but it's just dumb luck you know all it takes is one person with a bad idea and a gun but right? you, you follow what i'm saying though it, it isn't like okay it'd be one thing obviously horrible in its own way would be like six failed attempts to harm the president that we mm-hmm. all knew about and saw that would be horrible but like now there's this part of me that wonders in the same way it's like hmm for all this money we're spending on terrorism we don't really hear that much about what st- what terrorist attacks were stopped in the same way there, I still to this day I still feel like I'm very surprised there have not been more things we know about that were attempted I assume that they're more preventative I like I don't think their attempts thwarted in the TV style just in the nick of time I think it's more like uh, 
finding people like that due to our pervasive surveillance culture. I, I guess, but like nipping then, into the bud beforehand. And, but you still and get the lunatics, also, lunatics coming into the White House and stuff like that. I mean, and that seems just wacky. Yeah, well, you gotta. It's a lot of. It, I think a lot of it's just dumb luck, but a lot of it is. Uh, Better technology, better planning, and better awareness of the uh, danger profiles. And don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. And don't drive down the street in a convertible in Dallas. I mean, you know, use the Pope Mobile, whole nine yards. <clears throat> wear, wear, wear a hat and coat for your uh, inauguration. Harrison. What a disappointment. Yeah. It's a high school in Cincinnati. Well, of course, now my family knows him mostly from Parks and Rec. <laughs> the high school named after him is called Long Walk in the Cold High School. <laughs> <laughs> Just a reminder, kids, bundle up. Yeah, old wives' tale. Cold temperature makes you sick. Oh, nice! Wow, listen that's to you. What, listen to you and your retrograde analogies. Right. I've heard that's. I've heard that's not true. Also, okay. So, I don't call it an old wives' tale. What made us think the cold makes you cold? What could, or put differently, what was actually happening? Let's assume that people did actually get get colds. If it wasn't from getting cold, what was? What are we missing? And what was happening? Oh, why is there connected like that? Well, I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a false correlation. There must have been, maybe there was something else yeah, that happened. Well, I think there's a correlation to people getting more sick during the winter is a real thing because that's you're, like, uh, yeah. you're indoors and cooped up and you know have less food and all sorts of other things that totally make sense. Uh, but I, I think all all the, the studies I've seen on that have been very limited in scope, like most of them are, because if you are sort of unrelentingly cold, like if you can't get warm your body will be run down over the course of many days you know or weeks or months like yeah you have it, like it's called cold. exposure right and that's that can't help but weaken your immune system because it's weakening your whole body you don't have as much food you're cold all the time it's but like but like rough. going out to get the paper is not gonna right right but then yeah. like you're saying where did it come from like a yeah. foundation in some reasonable uh correlations that actually do have to do with cold weather why don't you have food well because we can't grow things and we didn't save enough root vegetables right and why is why are are you feeling weaker and colder well because i've been uh, you know cold to the bone for three weeks now and i can't get warm and it's wearing me down physically like those are all real things but you know and then it carries over into the modern age where it's like you're a little bit chilly because you went outside briefly and it was cold what about moisture but uh, well, that's the other one. I think it's concomitant with cold is oh, like, like get out of those wet, wet boots. You you're going to catch your death of cold. Yeah, yeah, I think that's just more of like you know, evaporation makes you cooler and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Uh, finally, you got a better phrase than old wives tell. What should we call that? that? That's a great term that we can't use anymore uh, for obvious good reasons. What's a better term for that? Conventional wisdom? Uh, well, I think a myth. Uh, myth. Superstition, myth. Those are all good. It's, right? not, it's not myths. That wasn't funny. John, I apologize in retrospect. I apologize in advance. I'm a mess tonight. I might not make it. Have someone uh, give you something to uh, zonk you out and then we'll just wake you up afterwards. I forgot my sleeping pill tonight. I didn't bring it with me. I usually have it. I have it right here on the desk. Right next to your steak taste better pill. (laughs) Steak? (laughs) My steak taste better pill? Come on. Simpsons? Uh, No. Star Trek. I'm dropping music references and you're missing them. This is the only program Steak where this happens. Taste better pill. Radiohead. You too. It's all right. It's REM. All right. You know which one of us is the real fan. That's a clue, right? It's. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. So anyway, I'm watching that again. Uh, other kinds of follow-up. Is there, uh, have there been any themes in what people have been saying to us that you want to acknowledge? I should look at our Twitter account. 
Um, I don't think so. We don't get a lot of traffic. Yeah, I think a lot of people bailed before The Walking Dead one because I haven't seen a lot of opinions on that. Although some people were glad that we talked about it, but no. Yeah. Uh, there, was, there were a lot of people about the, the wrong with the normal parameters stuff, mostly trying to come up with better examples. Right. <laughs> like one of your hosts <laughs> trying to come up with a better example. Because, oh, you know, the, the monkey god thing was not a great example. but Oh, my God. Anyway, it made for... Uh, <laughs> How did you get a person to marry you? It's, it's just, I just... I ask myself that often. I mean, I'm not saying I'm any kind of catch. It was, it was hard work, let me tell you. It wasn't, it didn't just, I didn't just fall into I'll, it. I think I'm insufferable within normal parameters, but you, you, you just, you... Mm, uh, yeah. You are so, you, you just, you, it's bottomless. You, there's always more. Always more with you. You you think you're insufferable with normal parameters, but vehemently <laughs> she's not going to be on the show ever being on no! any podcast. <laughs> Never. So I don't know how much we can trust this. Oh boy, I'm interested in our second. I'm interested in both our topics tonight. But uh, yeah, I, I have I have I have updates as recent as ten minutes before I came here about our second topic tonight. Really, my daughter is currently, as we speak. Well, she's we're watching. They're watching Sherlock, and uh, she is uh, moving uh, the character called Bite around in Swift Playgrounds as we speak, and she is thrilled. All right, then. How about that? Topical. I got a question for you. You ever get a weird smell in your house? <laughs> get. Do you like the ones where I prepare? <laughs> you get. Do you, do you get a weird smell in your house? As if, as if the house has caught a weird smell? Do you, do you get it in your house? Does it come into your house? Do you pronounce caught and caught the same? Past tense of catching and a thing that you sleep on? Are those pronounced the same? No. Oh, caught and caught. God almighty, really? Caught yeah. and caught. I know I know you do, but no, they're two different things. Caught. Yeah, well, if you want to go extreme. It's like doing. <laughs> yeah, you can go that way if you want, if it helps you. Hmm. Hmm. Sometimes I think it's useful to have like a little mnemonic. Like my, I got a, I got a, I got a useful mnemonic for, uh, for the umlaut, for the diuresis in German. You know that, do you, do you know that mnemonic or that little uh, shortcut? No, I don't. I don't know that one. Because it's pretty hard, and you end up sounding like a jerk a lot of times. I don't know if this is true. Don't at me. But I was told that because, like, for example, you say like a, I want you say ich möchte. It's like it's kind of hard to say. What I was told is you say you um, what's the word? You sound whatever the letter you're reading is, but you make the shape of an e with your mouth while you're saying that letter. I don't know if that's helping me. So I'm not, I'm not aware of the shape my mouth makes oh come e. on caught and caught you must be aware of this so if you, you have to say an o you would say oh but you would do it with an e sound so you could say ew oh no i can't do that sure you can you're from no, long I island german i don't know anything about these uh, uh, you could totally do that you could pick it right up you were caught in the cot caught in the cot <laughs> can't park no. the cot in the cot yeah. Huh. All right, my, my stinky house. So we were texting about what we wanted to talk about tonight, and uh, you mentioned, I must tell you, there, there are two things that I find very interesting. <clears throat> As you know, I'm very interested in relative humidity, relative humidity, and I'm very interested in uh, mysterious smells. Okay, let, me, let me start with an opening statement or an opening question. Do you, do you regard yourself as having, like one to ten, what is your sense of smell? Do you have a, an accurate sense the, of smell? What's, what's average? Is average five? <sighs> Let's just say, like, do you, do you think, do you feel like, are you sensitive to smells? Are you good at, like, tracking a smell down? Do you feel like you have a pretty good sense of smell? 
I think I have a better than average sense of smell because very often I can smell things that other people around me can't smell. Okay. And and this is one of those cases. So this this is my house. My house is my enemy. We've discussed this before. Most people's homes are their enemy. If you're a homeowner and do not have infinite money and do not have a house perfectly constructed by magic elves, uh, your home is usually your enemy. Absolutely. And I thought we were in a down period with my house because mostly under control, keeps the weather out, is not actively crumbling around me. You made it. You made it through that difficult period with all the the major renovation things, right? Not. You know, like there are many things wrong with it, but none of them are really structural or like maintaining the value of your home type of things, which is, you know, that's the level the battle usually takes place with mm-hmm. my home. It's it's not really like it's not just the way I want it to be. It's more like, am I losing thousands of dollars in value in my house if I don't do something? Is the outside coming into my house when it's not supposed to be? Stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's a couple words I like a lot from um, health and medicine, like acute versus chronic, right? Like, so if you've got something like rheumatoid arthritis, you have this chronic condition, or you know, like a, let's say you have a bowel problem. There's this kind of thing that you're gonna have over time a little bit, but then you got like an acute problem, which is like I've got to deal with this right now, and it might go away when we're done with it. You don't have anything acute do happening. Medical, the way I would phrase it is, I'm always doing things that make sure that the that the patient stays alive. Is the circulatory system working? Is blood pumping? Are the neurons firing? You see, it's sort of like, sort of like living, the, in a, living in an old man. Right. Versus, like, or Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Versus going up the ladder is like, is the patient happy? I've never gotten to that phase. I'm always like, oh my God, there's no circulation going to the leg. Like, that's, that's the stage, stage I am with home ownership. It's all about keeping the patient alive because just, you know, has to be alive and in good repair and it can't be gangrene yeah. in any portion and stuff like that. So anyway, this started maybe a, a week ago or something, more than a week ago at this point. Came into the house and I smelled something funny. No one else in my family could smell it, including the kids, by the way, who supposedly would have really good senses of smell, but apparently not. Nobody can smell but me. Smells kind of musty, kind of moldy, one of those kind of smells. Where, where, What's the closest you can get to locating where it's coming I from. I smell it when I come in the house, which is not doesn't really help because obviously you're in the outside air for a long time, especially if you've been at work all day, you're in different air. You come into your house. If there's any smell in your house that's different than the outside, you're going to first smell it when you come through the door. So sort of like a, like not to say goodwill, but like a mildewy old something, like an old book, something that kind of like high. It's like if you've ever had actual flooding or water damage in a house. Oh, or buddy, I've, I've had that. that. I've had it. That kind of musty, moldy odor smell. Okay, so like you leave, you leave a wet shirt in your trunk and forget about it. You take it out, that smell. Or like if your basement floods and you have carpeting in your basement. Ugh. Or something like that. Yep. Right? Yep. But not super duper strong, but I could definitely smell it. And again, it's when I'm coming through the doorway. So you never know what it's going to be in these cases. I've had smells like this in the house before. Sometimes, sorry for the squeamish listeners, sometimes it's a rat that's in a trap. Or not a rat, a mouse that's in a trap. Yep. You have mouse traps or sticky traps or any type of things. Sometimes you get one, and they're there for a while until they start smelling. A surprisingly small mouse can make a surprisingly big smell. Right, and you got to know where the traps are, or where you set them, or maybe you've forgotten about them. Or you got to write them before. down. I mean, don't because yeah. you you won't you're gonna want to remember. Yeah, and this is before we had a professional exterminator come in when we've had uh, mouse problems, and that's basically taken care of it. So we haven't had one of these in many many years. Right. Yeah. But you never know. So I check all those usual places. No dead mice. Uh, the next idea I have is radiators. Because 
radiators are near the the doorway and very often if you're we have uh, uh hot water radiators and dust settles on them and then like the first time the heat comes on because it's kind of the time when the year it's getting cold enough where finally the radiators are going to turn on right yeah and sometimes it's kind of just like burning off the 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 dust that's there heating up the dust that's settled on it during the whole rest of the year that can be a thing in a weird smell but it didn't quite smell like that but i was like maybe there and i also thought maybe that there was a mouse or something or a mouse nest or some other dead thing up inside the radiator somewhere i wasn't seeing it or underneath um so I was going to check those out with a flashlight and vacuum and try to deal with those. Um, uh, but in the meantime, I did the easier things, which is, is it the rug in front of the door? Is it the 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 kid's shoes? You know, as I smelled all the shoes. My son's shoes did smell pretty stinky, and sometimes a stinky shoe can smell kind of like that. So I took all the shoes out of the house and put them in the garage. The coat rack out and put it in the garage. Took the rug from the front of the door and put it in the garage. Like, taking everything out of there. And then you wait a day for it to all air out, come back into the house the next day, still smells. <sighs> Check the radiators, vacuuming everywhere underneath them, removing anything, you know, and doing the thing where you put your nose right up to, because it's a type of smell that it's not super strong and you do get used to it really fast when you're in the house for any period of time, right? Well, we'll come back to this, but I, I recently had this. I went through every single thing you're talking about and you find yourself, first of all, you find yourself eventually feeling a little bit nuts because you're not sure what it is, where it is, but you eventually get to where you are putting your nose directly yep. into a lot of things that you don't want to smell. And then you yep. smell something really bad, but it's not the thing that you're looking for. Yeah, you may find yourself in a shotgun shack. Right, live in, yeah, you become like Gene... In another part of the world. I know that reference. You become like Gene Hackman in uh, the conversation. You're ready to start tearing up floorboards. Oh, no, yes, definitely. All right, so here... So I'm, I'm putting my nose in things. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying to locate it because, again, you get used to it. A mild smell you'll get used to really fast. So mm-hmm. you won't notice it anymore. So you have to like keep going back outside and like resetting and like walking around and then come back in. Um, and I'm going to the basement underneath the area where I smell it to look up at there. I've got my flashlight there. I'm poking things. Is there any moisture anywhere? I'm feeling with my fingers. Anything remotely wet? Nope. Dry as a bone. Poking things with a stick. Anything soft and spongy? Nope. Hard. Tuck, tuck, tuck. Hard. <laughs> Solid wood. Dry. No moisture. And yet, that smell. Um the closest I got to it was I put my nose right by the little threshold strip in front of the front door and sniff and there's a little crack there. It smells a little bit stronger than it does elsewhere. Okay. But there's nothing going on in there. There's nothing going on from the top side or the bottom side or the front side or the back side. Starting to think, you know, I know there's a snake that lives underneath our porch, hmm. underneath the big slab thing. I see him there in the summertime. He's lived on our property for a long time. He used to live in the bulkhead in the back. Who knows if it's the same snake? Sometimes I'd see him out there sunning himself in the morning, and then he would go slithering underneath. Whatever, I don't care. I hope he eats the mice. I don't have any problems with snakes. Yeah. Thinking maybe that snake went under our porch and died, which is right under the threshold of the door, and I'm smelling that snake decompose. That could be it, too. It hasn't rained recently, but it had been raining the week before. Um, And so here's the other angle. So I'm doing this over the course of many days, and my family's looking at me like I'm crazy. All of them have varying degrees of respiratory cold thingies sniffly nose oh no uh cough my wife has had a persistent cough for many weeks now oh god your mind must be racing oh my god she's like oh i'm getting sick uh i think i might be getting sick and then she's like oh maybe i'm not getting sick oh and then eventually it's like i don't understand why this code won't go away my son is coughing the big you know terrible cough sound 
My daughter just has a sniffly nose. I'm mostly fine with a little bit of sniffles. Does that mean anything? It's November. You start getting your first sniffly cold of the season, right? But, but part of you think of black, black mold, right? Right. Well, no, but nobody has a fever. Nobody's particularly bad. But these colds aren't going away, and I feel like they've been there for a long time, and there's this musty smell that only I can smell. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this is not a good time. This this happening at the same time as the election is not good. My not that they're connected in any way, but it's just like that's not that's not how it works. I mean, I just yeah. the concomitance is is not healthy. It doesn't feel. Yeah, good. I don't I don't need that to be going on. So I have someone coming who's going to check everything that you can check, search for mold, do air quality testing, so on and so forth. They're scheduled to come at the end of this week. And hopefully we will determine something. It is very mysterious. Of course, today when I came home, smells almost entirely gone. What now? See, that makes no sense. It should be getting worse, and it should. The thing is, the the what upside is as it, if it's a mildewy problem, it will not get better on its own. Well, it could dry out. Well, I got some anecdotes, but the thing is, it, if it's that kind of smell, it generally will get stronger and as it gets stronger it becomes impossible not to realize like where it's coming from usually yeah like i'm pretty sure it is coming from essentially like the, th- the little strip you step over when you enter my house but there's nothing there from above or below or the side or any distance like that and i i thought it was gone entirely but then i you know this when i came home from work today didn't really smell it at all and then later tonight when i was taking out the garbage i came back in and smelled faint whiff of it but definitely less today than it was Maybe it's something that's drying out. I don't know. I, I have no idea what's going on, but it's like the worst type of thing because, first of all, don't Google anything having to do with this because it's like Googling for whether you have cancer. I'm, I'm looking at black mold right now. The, the answer is that you always do. It's horrifying. And the answer with this is that you you might as well burn your house down because now your your lifetime investment is worthless and you're all going to die. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. what the internet says. Oh, yeah. This doesn't look good at all. No, it's probably... Is there a chance it could be something under that strip? Could there be water underneath that strip i don't think this uh, there's anything under there because i can see it up from the bottom side and if there was it would be seeping through and there's no like there's no place for water to get in and there's no if there was it would come right straight through and come out has it been raining a lot no not i mean like (sighs) this week it hasn't been raining but Hmm. the previous week we had some rain but nothing i'm trying to think of variables what has changed what has changed recently right right nothing you know Nothing related to that whole front of the house has changed like we, you know, in a long time. So it is mysterious. Like, and again, maybe it's just a dead animal. Like, cause I, dead animal has this type of smell. I've smelled plenty of dead animal. Could be that snake just died under our porch and this is the smell manifesting and eventually it just rots and rots and rots. And then eventually it's done decomposing and you don't get the smell anymore. That would explain some of this. So but. when's your, when's your ranger coming out? Friday. Friday, and so this is somebody who is what? What? What's that person's job title? Uh, it's like I don't know. They they do they do environmental air testing and testing of the mold to see if you have like the bad, dangerous kind of black mold. Oh, good. But, okay, you know, but it's some it's somebody who is uh, okay. That's good. It's their only job is like to, to do all and and the te- they can test for radon. It's like indoor air quality tester, but also if you actually have visible mold, they can swab an area and do it. Like they send stuff out to labs and find out what's going on. Now there's no visible anything anywhere. Right, but you can still do air quality tests, and you can swab areas where you don't even see any mold, just to see here's where the smell is strongest. What's the deal? What's right, going sure, on sure. Um, and uh, pre- presumably they have experience of like, oh, uh, if you smell something, even if you can't see something, here's where it might be. Right, right, right. right. 
So I don't know. It's mysterious and it's it's very bothersome. Uh, um, can I tell you my anecdote? My first anecdote yeah. about this. It's another trust your mechanic story. Um, did I tell you about? Did I tell you about getting our carpets cleaned? Did I ever tell you about this? Maybe. So we hired um, somebody. Got to get calling the pro from Dover. Oh, you want somebody who's good? They'll come in and fix your range. So we we wanted to have the carpets cleaned. So we called in a carpet cleaning person, and they came in. They cleaned all the carpets. And, you know, he seemed like a nice guy. Seemed like he did it all pretty quickly. I'm, I'm giving the story a little bit, giving the story away a little bit here because I'm, I'm basically letting you know what caused this. But the evidence of this was we came home from having gone to a little family fun thing on a Saturday. We opened the front door and it smelled like garbage. I mean, it smelled like, you know, that feeling of like maybe the first time you notice it, you open the door and it's like, poof. You're like, whoa. And I, my instant thought was dead animal. Like it was, <laughs> it was bad, and people were screaming. the The other members of my household were not happy. And and so just to kind of um, compress it a little bit, I did everything you were talking about. Like I went, is it the closet? So this is down by our front door. I, you know, I did some basic troubleshooting. It was clearly coming from somewhere near our front door. So go through all the shoes. Go through looking for, of course, as you know, is there an UGG boot that has half of a chocolate milk in it? Was my first <laughs> thought. Because there's basically half a chocolate milk almost everywhere. I don't know why she feels the need to put half of a, uh, you know what I'm talking about, like a Horizon box of yep, milk. Yep. And, of course, the wrapper will be somewhere else because that's apparently a thing she can't take care of. And the straw, of course, will be in a, in a third location. But somewhere, that, you know, the, I do find chocolate milk in Ugg boots sometimes. So I thought maybe that's it. And the Ugg boots, I don't really, you know, you know from Ugg boots, right? Like you mm-hmm. need to take those out as a culprit early because they're really bad. So I did all of, I, all of what you did. Long story short, I finally was like, hmm. And I wasn't really quite putting together the little clue yet. I got down on my hands and knees, and I stuck my nose into our bottom step, and like I almost passed out. So, trust your mechanic. We had the guy come in to come and uh, do the rugs, and uh, he just basically, I think he used a lot of whatever liquid is used, let's say water, but as you can guess, because of physics, the lowest step smelled the worst. It has a runner, you know, carpet runner on it, like that's yep, yep. nailed down. So bottom step, like super garbage. The next step up, almost as bad, etc. Eight steps up, it's not quite as bad. So I think what happened was like a bunch of water ran down. Luckily, I discovered it within a day or two. And I actually have another anecdote I won't try you with. But you remember I told you about what happened at my office? Remember with the, uh, the water damage at my office? I don't think so. I basically had to tear up my landlord, like, collapsed on it. He was like, danger, Will Robinson. If there's any water, we have to tear up that rug. Like, I will be there from Palo Alto. Like, I will be there in minutes. We are going to, like, tear this apart. Because if you let that smell linger, like, you ain't going to get rid of it. Like, there's no way to get rid of it. You have a window, tick-tock, tick-tock, when you can get rid of that. And, uh, And so I collapsed on it. I was like, okay, that's it. The dude, the dude, like, left us with a wet rug. And I collapsed hard on it. And I actually had stunningly good success using two things. First thing is, one of the things that has made me a relative humidity nerd, we have a really, really nice dehumidifier. So one of the very first things I did was put the dehumidifier downstairs. Do you have a dehumidifier? You you probably have a humidifier, if anything, right? We do have a dehumidifier. We use it in the basement, although we don't have to use it in the winter because it gets pretty dry. It's, uh, It's pretty crazy. Just go to any room in your house, especially the bathroom, if you don't have good ventilation. Um, we fill up a 70-pint in San Francisco. You fill up a 70-pint dehumidifier tank in about seven hours. 
mind-boggling. There's so much moisture in the air. So that's the first thing I did. Ran an extension cord, took it downstairs. This is fascinating home stuff. The other thing is I found it from the internet. This is actually a really good tip is you make a solution of uh, white vinegar and, oil, and water. <laughs> oil and vinegar. <laughs> you make salad dressing and put it on your steps. You make uh, water, like warm water and vinegar in a spray bottle. You spray like super wet on the affected area and then put butt tons of baking soda or I, I like the, the Arm & Hammer like carpet pet smell stuff and you leave it there and it turns into a rudimentary paste and you sweep it up the next day. And it worked a treat. So, I mean, if that had been one more day, I mean, basically I said to my wife, if this smell does not go away by tomorrow, I have to tear up the carpeting because it will get into the entire house. It's not just the smell you're worried about. The smell is part of it. Like, that's going to be gross. But, like, I think that mildew really, really spreads fast. It's like the jungle in Nausicaa. You can't let the spores land on the the trees. They'll just spread everywhere. Yeah, right. you got to have a gas mask. John, I don't know, but that's that's a life hack right there. All I'm saying is, like, I got the fear. I got the fear. My landlord, you know, the same way a plumber will tell you to never flush anything down your toilet. Like, the landlord, maybe put the fear of God in me about moisture. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and like you, you benefited from the fact that the source of the water was a cleaning person and not it's not persistent. Like, in other words, because you could dry it out and disinfect it, and then... It's not a, it's not an ongoing problem. Yeah, it wasn't like in a swamp shack or something. Right. Whereas if you actually had like a leaky pipe under there or something, just anything that adds because right now in those steps is all that mold just waiting to be reactivated by moisture. If you poured a, two cups of water on that step and left for a week, it would be right back. Like you haven't actually gotten rid of it. I was t- I was t- I was absolutely terrified. I was just terrified that cuz like uh, now I'm thinking magically and I'm thinking that at, at the very least that smell is going to go through the whole place and like once that's in your drapes once it's in your other curtains, like, forget about it. Yeah. So I am very intrigued by the idea of this not getting apparently worse in your yeah, case. I mean, like, it could it could be weather-related. It could be I just have to wait for it to rain again, and it will come roaring back, and I'll have to find with this mysterious source of moisture that's somehow getting in. Like, I just want, I want to find something wet. I right? know. Mm-hmm. And, but... But you're going to have Daryl the Moisture uh, Ranger out there yeah, on I Friday. Mean, that's, that's really just like I'm just relying. I'm just doing basic testing to eliminate. I'm paying a lot of money to eliminate the idea that my family is dying from black mold spores that I can't see. That's right? money well spent, John. Right. So I can just be like, okay, I don't have to worry about that anymore. They tested the air quality, tested all the stuff. Your house is not filled with mold. Your, your family's just sick because it's November. These photos are have, really, really. Do you look at, see the one with the, was on the ceiling? See that one? Yes. No, I don't. Just like, oh, this is bad. Um, and then also I'm hoping in addition to just my peace of mind about that my house is not poisonous, that maybe this person has done this a few times and has some ideas about where this crap could be hiding. Uh, my worst fear is the person comes and can't smell a damn thing. And they go, you're crazy. Like, right. Yeah. And we're like, oh, stick your nose right here. Right on the threshold. Now sniff in that hole. <laughs> smell that. <laughs> Deeper. Smell really, that. really get in there. Yeah, exactly. Really, just really inhale that. And, and by the way, later tell me if it's toxic. But in the meantime, smell that. It's not really strong, but it's there. Did you see the ceiling fan with the fuzz on it? Oh, God. Do not Google this. Oh, well, this, is, this is really horrible. I just assume all those people live in Florida. Like, I mean, just some terrible, humid climate where it never gets dry and the winter doesn't come and save them. And, oh, you know, no, where, no. Where the bugs are the sides of chihuahuas. Oh, John, you have you have no idea. Um, one summer, the summer after I graduated, 
I was in actually a, a really nice house. My friend had my I knew this guy who had like basically bought a house. He was away for the summer. It was a beautiful like modern like two year old stilt house, but it had like no air conditioning. It had a like a not a ceiling fan but like an attic fan. And that was it. And one time I thought, hmm, this is kind of weird. It's kind of moist in here. I pulled the sheets off my bed. My futon had black spots on it. <laughs> Welcome to Florida. <laughs> what are you going to do with a ceiling fan in Florida? Like, the idea behind that is, like, we will exhaust the hot air in the house and let the cool air from outside come in during the mm, night. Let's pull that, let's no pull that cool hot air. air to come in in the night. Oh, let's you pull that hot air 80 up. degree Ooh. air just breezing into the house. That'll make me sleep well. That was a good summer, though. I was really into Pixies and uh, hip-hop. That was a good summer. Summer of... Uh, actually, it might have been 89. It was before I graduated, but that was, oh, that was a good summer. house on stilts. My aunt lives in a house on stilts in Tallahassee. What? You have an, uh, you have an aunt in Tallahassee? No, I have an aunt in Tallahassee. Did you say she aunt? in a house on stilts. No, you don't have to say aunt? No. I had to change. No, I said aunt no. my entire life, and then my daughter was born, I got to start saying aunt like an animal. No, she 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 grew up in uh, on Long Island, like all the rest of us, uh, and then she moved You're allowed to, to say Aunt? Yeah, and she moved <sighs> to Florida and immediately picked up the accent. It was <sighs> terrible. So you can imagine how hard this is for me. One of my sister or one of my uh, wife's sisters is named uh, A N N E, and so Aunt every Anne. time I say you her name, I, I say Auntiani because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, Auntiani, because because I'm I'm already doing it phonetically. Aunt, yeah. give me a break. I've got an aunt, Aunt. I've got an aunt, Aunt, and an uncle Stan. <laughs> Stop <laughs> lying. An aunt, Aunt, and Uncle Stan. Yep. Are they fun? Yeah, they're the best. Ah. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Harry's, makers of awesome razors and blades. You can learn more about Harry's right now by visiting harrys.com. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their shaving products that they are now offering you to try them for free. Their amazing free trial set comes with a razor, a five-blade cartridge, and a shaving gel. It's free for you when you sign up for a Harry shave plan. All you need to do is pay $3 for shipping. Harry's has some amazing new five-blade razors that include a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for hard-to-reach places, a lubricating strip, and a textured razor handle for more control when your hands are wet. I'm a shower shaver. I'll admit it. I like to have a textured razor handle. Most companies will charge you more when they upgrade the quality of their razors, not Harry's. Their prices stay the same, even though their products just keep getting better. Harry's believes so much in the quality of their razors that they guarantee that quality. They'll give you a full refund if you're not happy. Harry's new razors offer an even higher quality shave at about half the price of what you'd pay in stores. This is actually true. I am a strong advocate for Harry's. It is what I use. I am glad I got off the giant corporate razor roller coaster. Harry's are all I use. They are the best. So great. I, uh, I just I can't recommend them highly enough. So please, you go to harrys.com and you enter the code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. You can get your free trial set. And because you're a listener of the show, you're also going to get a bonus post-shave balm added to your order for free. All you need to do is pay the shipping. You go to harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. And when you check out, use that offer code DIFFS to get your free trial set and your free post-shave balm. Thank you so much to Harry's for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. This black mold's really gross. Oh, my God, the ceiling. Yeah, so the stilts. Yeah. Tell me about the stilts. Uh, like, I-, I thought it was novel 
uh, my, you know, my aunt lives on a house on stilts in Tallahassee. Yeah. Why are the houses on stilts in Florida? Is there is the ground just infested with giant bugs? You're oh, there's all kinds of them? reasons to want to be away from Florida. I mean, even if it's just by ten feet, <laughs> just like that's pretty. It's like it's it's high. It's not just like they're on stilts, like a foot off the no, ground. No, you really it's, you really want to get as high as you can. Yeah, a full you know one story up and but stair. It just seems like a hassle and hot air rises. So why is the house on stilts? That's a good question. Um, well, I mean, there's a functional need, obviously, because you know one of the great things about Florida is we don't have one kind of catastrophe there. We get them all. Tornadoes? Sure. Hurricanes? We'll take it. Like, we get basically everything but hurricanes in Santa Ana. Like, we get, it all comes to Florida. And flooding. Oh, boy, flooding. We got flooding. So, if you're going to live somewhere, like my old boss used to live near, doesn't matter, but uh, on the panhandle. And, boy, there's just all kinds of flooding and hurricanes. So, you have to have that. Now, I think the thing is, a still house, it can also be a, what's the word I'm looking for? Not affectation. But it can be, like, it's not there for functional reasons. Yeah, they are hippies. They do live in, like, a hippie commune. Are, are they in Are they in Leon County in general or Tallahassee in particular? I don't know. I've visited them, like, three times in my life. As far as I'm concerned, Tallahassee is the location. Yeah, I'll bet they're outside of Tallahassee. They're, they're, they're they're, it's in the up. woods. It's like, it's a very woods. <laughs> you live in the they're woods? In the woods. <laughs> yeah, they are in the woods. You live in the woods? Yeah, they do. They grow their own peas. Oh, nice. Yeah. Visualize world peas. Hippies love their bumper stickers. Anyway, we'll have some follow-up on my home odor. Or all my whole family will be dead from black mold. One of those two will happen. Wait, you see that ceiling? Woo! Look at that. Look at that. Look at that ceiling fan with the, uh, with the, just the one with the fur nope, on it. Nope, nope, nope. It says fur. <laughs> Fernandina Beach, Florida is where that <laughs> one's located. I'll send it to you. That's a good one. That's probably not this bad at your house. No, there's no, no visible mold. Nothing mm, yeah. and nothing that anyone else in my family can smell, and that I just hear them coughing silently, or not silently, but I hear them coughing steadily in the, the other rooms in the house. I just think about the smell that only I can smell. Week before last, now I mentioned some back to work, but um, in one school day, five kids in my daughter's class went home sick. Like, during the school day, five different times, five different kids were like, gotta go. Like, they all had some kind of... About pukey? Um, I don't know if they were too pukey. They were, like, I think it was, like, woozy beyond any help. But, like, boy, mm, that was this, a tough day for the teacher. So, have you had... This is a thing that we recently had in our school system. They tested all of the drinkable water-producing items in the school for lead. Water fountains, spigots in classrooms, all, all basically any place that kids might potentially drink water from. Okay. Uh, and they give you a per-location breakdown of lead levels. Oh, God. For every single school. Do I want to know every, this? For every single, every single sink, every single like little kitchenette area, every water fountain in every school. Oh, God. How'd you do? Just, our school was okay. Okay. It had one water fountain that was approaching, uh, you know, the high side of what is the in the acceptable range. But in the grand scheme of things, not that bad. Some other schools were like two orders of magnitude off on random like whoa things. Yeah, I, which I don't is know also totally believable because that's how it would work. It, you know, it, right. it, it's happening at a fairly local. The el- the elderliness of pipes is probably fairly local. Right, and they have all those things of, like, it's supposed to be, like, the thing ha- can't have been used for a certain number of hours, so it lets the water, like, sit in whatever the pipes that are there. Like, it's all a whole procedure, like, because obviously you've just ran 
fresh water straight through everything, they'd all be fine. That's why it's different in the different sections. You got one little section of lead pipe, and the water sits in that little section overnight, and then you turn the thing on, and you sample that water, mm-hmm. then you find out, oh, well, so everything in the school is fine except for this one water fountain, right? Yeah, right. So, anyway, trying to think about that. No, but, I'm not going to. Did you ever touch your bathtub? Bathtub? For what? For lead? Lead. No, I mean, it's a, in our, I don't know if it's just a Massachusetts thing, but because we have all the old houses here, when you take your baby and eventually your child to the doctor, they do lead level tests for them. Well, well de- decreasing frequency. Treat treat yourself by going to Walgreens and pick up picking up one of those ten dollar lead tests. Yeah, hopefully not drinking water from the. Uh, oh boy, I'm all over that. No, you, no, you can't have a straw in the bathtub. <laughs> I know how that ends. <sighs> yeah, can't afford college. Um, boy, I hope that works out. Let me know how it goes with Daryl. Daryl's the name that I'm giving to your ranger. He's chaotic. Jason, I think it's Jason. Ranger, Jason the ranger. Some, something, with a, something with a J. What level do you think he is? Do you have a sense? Not, I don't know. Um, I, this seems like a young profession. Like indoor air quality seems like a young profession. This seems like one of those things where like you're having a little trouble after college. You're not sure what to do, and it's like a plastics type situation. You run to somebody you're like, hey, you know about air quality, and you're like, no, no, tell me about air quality. And you're like, it's not super hard. You get a loan for $10,000, maybe get yourself a van, and like pretty soon you're in the air quality business. That well, seems like one of those, like that's, that's the modern herbal life. So, well, here's the thing with all these things. Like one angle is we can do a bunch of tests, and we don't even have to do the hard part. We just have to know how to gather samples and send them off to a lab. And the lab does the sciencey stuff, and we know how to interpret the report and can tell you stuff, right? So that's one place. So that's, a pretty, that's a pretty easy gig. Come in, you got your testing equipment, you got your whatever hydrometer and the things that can sense temperature in the wall to try to find leaks based on what's cooler and hotter. And, you know, you got all, you, there are some tools and there's some stuff you do and you can check it out and do all this stuff. And, 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 and they're all, I mean, importantly, those are not the kind of things most people, it's not like a Phillips head screwdriver. To have right, the, you don't have these things yourself. You that array of things them. and knowing how to use them. Yeah. Right. And then, and then they've got a connection to a lab. I mean, you could find, do all these do-it-yourself things and send them to a lab yourself or whatever, but... Like, you're not going to have all the other tools. And then they're going to send them to a lab, and the lab's going to charge them something, and they're going to add a surcharge on top of that. But in general, a fairly non-invasive, make-a-bunch-of-money, pretty good hourly rate to do a bunch of stuff. But then the other side of the same business that usually these places also do is when they find something, you can also pay them to get rid of it for you, remediation or whatever. Like, Oh, yeah. And, and so they all have different ways of doing that. Hey, we found it. We can tell you this is what needs to be done if you want this to go away. Um so this company does both parts of that, and you always worry if they do both. They're like, of course, they're going to find mold everywhere because they want to charge you even more money to get rid of it. But right. Um, but I, almost at this point, I would be like, look, if you can find a problem and and show me the problem in a way that makes me understand it, and then make the problem go away, that is worth money to me. No, hundred percent. I like being a ranger. That was a good class. We have a topic this week. You like how I, I subtly shifted us over to our main topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This came up, I think, uh, a few months ago. For Just for listeners, just so you know, we have a Google Doc where we have all of our mini topics. And there are many, many topics, some of which, ooh, I don't know if we're going to get down to midlife crisis, creepiness of twins. Uh, I so can't even tell ones. if you're doing it to troll me anymore. I can't what? even tell. What's that? The, the way that I add, uh, add, add things to this? No. No, just the size of our topics. That's it. Hmm. Hmm. I'm not even sure I understand what you're making fun of me for. <laughs> I don't understand if you understand, but you're... <laughs> Did you see the ceiling fan with the fuzz on it? Did you get that picture? I, I got the. I got the. Look at look at all that mold on the ceiling. You don't even got to come in to tell you where the problem is. For that. <laughs> I think there might be something happening, kind of a, 
in this general sort of ceiling where you have a fur ceiling fan. Uh, and the, the remediation is you just burn it to the ground. John, is that I mean, dust? Is that about, is that three to six inches of dust that's turned in? Is a cat hair? What is it that's hanging off the ceiling fan? It's when they're when they're from the ceiling, they're stalactites. The stalactites hang tight from the ceiling to the ceiling. These yes. are stalactites of, and the stalagmite might be coming from the floor. Yeah, that's not really. I just made that up. Yeah, but these are horrible. But I'd said to you a while back. Uh, I forget how it started, but you and I were texting something something school and technology, and um, I don't know. Maybe we were talking about the whole like everybody's got to learn to code or something like that, which is kind of a separate topic. But the idea came up. Um, what kind of technology stuff should kids be learning? When should they be learning it? How should they be learning it? And maybe it's just as interestingly to me, from your point of view as somebody who does this professionally, what are the kinds of things you hope they're not teaching in school? Or what kinds of things? Take it any angle you want. I just want to talk about kids and technology. And this is not about them. This is about learning, like to be a practitioner in whatever of these things, you know, whatever tech related stuff. i want to leave it I, I want to leave it to what, whatever topic you want what this is i we we um i don't know i'm always interested in the idea of kids and screens and all the techno fear about your kids you know being ruined by screens and i, I think we've talked about that here mm-hmm. but this in particular i'm looking at it from a lot of angles i mean i'm looking at it from the angle of if you want to address it how do you feel about that general uh, announcement statement that everybody should learn how to program because I'm not sure that's such a great idea. But like, what kind of stuff should kids be learning? Because I don't think we can safely assume that every kid's got going to have access to that, let alone have access to that in the same way, let alone in the same useful way. Do you um do you have any thoughts on uh, jumping in anywhere with that? Yeah, so I think on this topic, my opinions, as with so many things, are colored by my upbringing in sort of the the first age of personal computers anyway some child of the 80s you got the ibm pc and in, in the 80s. not the very least the first age of like like affordable home right computers. where regular individual people could purchase a computer and have it in their home also the the first age where kids had computers in school in any form we get apple twos or you know the uh, commodore pets what else mm-hmm. do we have we had some uh, ibm terminal things in school too like and so there was this idea in the 80s, there's a lot of interesting ideas in the 80s about what our kids should be learning to be prepared for the future. I think we mentioned in past shows the idea that kids should learn Japanese because Japan was mm-hmm. soon going to rule the world because they made better cars than we did. Um, they owned all the buildings. Right. Uh, and uh, computers were similar. It's like your kids have to, quote unquote, learn computers, whatever that meant. Because the future is going to be all about computers, and if your kid doesn't learn computers, your kid's going to be left behind. And there was a lot of parental angst that created a demand that was filled by people of various skill levels purporting to teach your children computers, whatever that meant. People in schools, private classes. I think I mentioned uh, once before that I think before... I was allowed to get our, our first family computer, which was a rented VIC-20. I had to take, quote-unquote, computer classes, which mm-hmm. were mostly typing classes to teach yep. you how to type on the keyboard and also a little bit of basic, but typing was a big part of it. What, what, th- what are we talking about here, like 90s? 
no, Vic twenty. Oh, sorry, of course. Yeah, seventies, late seventies, early eighties, something like that. Okay. Um, and I think the typing angle. I think I think about that. Is that's the the strangest to me because it's not as if the typewriter was a new invention when I was a kid. The seventies and eighties, the typewriters had existed for a long time, but no one was saying because typewriters exist, make sure all your kids learn to type. There was a little bit of that, but it was mostly with the, you know, the sexist stereotype. It's like, well... No, that was something women learned. Girls will have to learn how to type so they can become secretaries, but men will never need to know how to type. So don't worry about it, guys. And with the computer age, I think that started to shift a little bit because it was still, like, the, 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 the you know, girls taking typing class because they're going to be secretaries was still totally a thing when I was in school. But learning computers and learning how to type on computers was seen as at least more gender neutral because it wasn't just secretarial work you could do and especially in the 80s big high power executives could do make pie charts right and once you made a pie chart you were the master of the universe you just hopped in your 911 turbo and skidded down the road with your mirrored ray-bans on uh and your uh, hot pink shirt and boom mr 80s right yeah and so there was a lot of that, like I said, both inside and outside school. My family had me take computer classes, multiple different kinds of computer classes, learning different kinds of things. In the school, there was a lot of, this is a keyboard. This is a monitor. This is a RAM. This is ROM. RAM and ROM. Boy, they love to talk about RAM and ROM. <laughs> Do you remember RAM and ROM? RAM and ROM was, because, I mean, that and software and hardware. There's two yeah, things so, like, we, well, exactly. we, you know, before you understand this, you're going to have to, a lot of people get confused about RAM versus ROM. Yeah, which would be a pivotal understanding for the rest of my life of course um and but didn't you think i mean like let me jump in a little bit here Uh, part of it was though i mean i wanted to stipulate for myself like i I, i've lived in a strange time because i i did have at least for a while i had basic in 1984 when i was a senior but four years before that i had business administration and i mean just four years before that and i'm i'm sure there were ways to learn you know Ba- even basic basic programming. But like in 1981, 82, we were learning typing, touch typing. We were learning 10 key. We were learning Greg shorthand. And we were learning um, double entry accounting. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> obviously all of those things still very much have their use. But of all those various things that I just told you, there's only one of those skills that I'm still like widely deploying today. I mean, I guess you could say right? 10 key, Greg shorthand. I can still, I can still make an E, but no, that was very much taught as it's a, it was as part of this thing called vocational wheel. I mean, it was all about like learning a vocation. So I to me, I know, I know, but I can't know yeah. that you know, that's one of the classic episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's back when, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but the, but I feel like there <laughs> no, was completing the reference. <laughs> I give up. Back I when, no et cetera, back when, et cetera. <laughs> See back when it's like a footnote in the index. Just got a back I'm one. Oh so yeah, no, tired of myself. <laughs> I'm so goddamn tired of myself. But what I'm trying to get at is whether it's the basic. Uh, there's one dumb point I want to tease out of this. Like, first of all, haha, isn't that funny that within four years you go from like using a ten key? Like, who uses a ten key today? And a ten key, just for those of you who are from the 21st century, a ten key is a calculator device that you are meant to be able to work you know, with your right hand while you were going through columns of data with your eyes to be able to touchlessly enter, enter data. And I'm not saying that's not, not useful, but for all of these things, there was, there was a kind of missing piece. Whether you're talking about ROM versus RAM, whether you're talking about hardware versus software, whether you're talking about, you know, go-to statements in basic, there was one part that was kind of missing from this, which, which was like, there was not much in the way of sparking a legitimate, so what is this technology really all about 
kind of thing. Like there might be a film strip about automation or something like that, but all of these had a very practical component, which is like these are things that are going to help you be able to get a certain kind of job. We don't even know exactly what kind of job that's going to be. All we know is it's time to throw some computer things at you. And that's one way in which I feel like that's one of the interesting things that has not changed that awfully much is like I still I wonder how much education I don't know if this would be as useful today, but do you feel like there was any kind of education when you were a kid for like really getting your feet under you, not just to understand like how a computer works, but just to think more about technology in this kind of abstract way that would enable you? I don't even know if this is making any sense. It just seems like they would go, you know, like here's the te- te- here's the terminology you need to know, and then here's the stuff that will, that's your first step toward getting a job in something something technology. But I feel like they leaped leapt over a lot of the kind of nerd stuff or geek stuff that tinkering allowed you to learn where you go, Oh, that's how that works. Or this is this connection to that. Or that's why this is called that where you discover that on your own in a way that is much more invigorating and sticky than by going through a workbook and matching the words together. Well, I think, uh, part of the problem with computer education was that it was so new. Like I had a lot of the same classes that you mentioned. I had business administration. I had typing on the IBM Selectric with the little ball right? Actual typing, which was separate from the computers class, right? Yep. Yep. Um, That's what we had selectors. And and here's, here's how I think it was different and probably still is different to this day to computer education in in, uh, elementary and high school and middle school. Business administrations, especially, but even just the typing class and stuff like that, those skills and systems had existed for long enough that they weren't mysteries. The person teaching business administration and double entry accounting and whatever knew what those things were came from the business world say these are not just abstract ideas and rote skills you need them to run a business because this is how the world works these are how the laws work business law was another class i took like an elective type thing this is how contracts work this is how work gets done this is not something we're speculating about that you think you might need in the future this is the way the world works now and it's been around long enough that's probably still going to be around same thing with typing it's like this is how you type keyboards are not new they're not going away even though we're teaching you on a typewriter and not on a computer and this is not a computer course there's a purpose for this skill because entering text like this is the fastest way to do it right and this is how you should do it and so all that stuff felt so much more competent i don't know if any of those classes sparked in me a a joy of learning about uh you know how contracts work and how to do accounting and all that stuff but at the very least it seemed founded in reality and taught by people who understood it based on experience and and i think i did actually get a little bit interested in the business side of things you know because it's novel and interesting and i did sense that this was those were real things that real people did and, and just in the real to, world. To tease out what you're saying, I, um, you never, you would never have to have somebody persuade you on why learning accounting, accounting is important and useful. You would never have to have somebody persuade you. Unlike, say, for example, like being a, a dumb kid in algebra, like how would I ever use this? Well, it's a building block to get to these other things. Everything you're describing in all of these things had a you could you could see the value. Nobody had to like give you a slideshow to explain why it was valuable to learn this thing. Because yeah, it had it had been useful in the past, and you could tell it was going to be useful in the future, and uh, I can't emphasize this enough, it was taught by people who had used it in their careers in the real world and could tell you about it, whereas all of my computer classes, necessarily at that point, were taught by, they were taught by adults, because it's a school and the adults are teaching, 
and these adults were seeing computers for the first time at the same time as all the students because the first ones are just coming out. It's like 1980, personal computers are a thing. You saw your first personal computer last year? So did I, because that's the first time anyone saw one, because nobody had one before that. So we are on even footing with this thing, essentially. None of these people were in the computer industry, had created these computers, wrote software for these computers, knew what the hell you could ever do with these computers. They were just tasked, these poor people, to, to teach our children computers. And they would learn things. More or less at the same rate as kids, but probably a little bit slower because kids' minds are more malleable and you learn things. So the kids who actually were interested in computers were probably ahead of most of the teachers. And in general, the teachers had no idea what the computers were going to be used for, and neither did the students. And it wasn't clear that they had been useful in the past because they had just been invented in terms of a computer that you would buy yourself and put in your home or in, in your office or whatever. And it wasn't clear what they were going to be used for in the future. And as we all know with computer stuff, they change really fast, much right. more rapidly than double-entry accounting changes. Like, much more rapidly than shorthand changes. If you were using one at home, I mean, you remember what the sales jobs were on these things. You're going to be able to balance your checkbook, or you're going to be able to keep your recipes mm-hmm. on file. Basically, it seems like the, the home computer in a lot of ways was, besides games, it was presented as, like, the most kind of quotidian tasks that had an analog already in the physical world. I, I wish I could, wish you could go back in time and tell the people who are selling these, like, $5,000 in 1970 money devices to someone who'd be like this is going to be such an important investment and you're going to keep your recipes on it and balance your checkbook and make pie charts and, and do all that stuff and like the honest sales pitch would be this will be a worthless piece of crap in three years mm-hmm. give me five thousand dollars please like you know let me show you the curve of how how rapidly technology is going to advance and i cannot express to you how worthless this apple II will be in, in five years you, you're basically spending the price of a, of a pretty good used car possibly even a new car but like, you know, at the very least, like a pretty good used four-door Pontiac, and it's going it's going to be functionally inept. Like, right, like, and platform changes. Like, even if the computer's still fine, guess right. what? Apple's going to bail on the Apple II eventually, and it, they're not going to make any new software for it. You got a Tandy? Uh, good luck with that. Like, just, so, you know, the first, the first, com- first computer I ever spent any amount of time on, my friend Sam, we had a really good Christmas in 1984. He got a TA-99-4A. And we just we just basically I mean, we didn't do anything useful with it. We were trying to make player character sheets on it, but basically we figured out how to make it make a sound and like turn the screen magenta just by like following the book. But I but I remember that being, and I, I guess it's understandable why you would whether that you're talking about careers or whether you're talking about the hardware and software for doing these things. You have to you have to present it in a way that's going to seem like a novel way of dealing with an old problem. Right, sort of, you know, same way that Steve had this thing that was primarily an internet communication device, but he had to call it a phone. Don't you think? I mean, wasn't that part of the sales job was to go like? Do you remember the recipe thing? It was always all about recipes. Like that yeah. seems really well, ubiquitous. They were trying to figure out how. I mean, it's just emphasizing how early it was. People because people didn't know what they were going to be good for, and they were trying every angle they could think of. And if they needed to get into the home, they were like, "Oh, the home is the woman's domain, and we have to get her approval." So, say you can store recipes on it. It's just. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was so confused and it was so the, the blind leading the blind and nobody knew what was up. But still, but there was this urgency, like I said, that kids need to know computers for some well, reason. Like also, arguably one of the well, I guess for for Mac was VisiCalc. Was that the the spreadsheet? That, that was, was the Apple II VisiCalc. Apple yeah. II was VisiCalc. But like that's one where you could see. I mean, that's a very the whole world of spreadsheets. It feels like in retrospect were huge. 
to helping people see how a computer could be really useful. But even take something like word processing. Well, you wouldn't even maybe call it word processing. You would call it like writing letters. And like to have buy a computer to be able to write a letter didn't make sense. I mean, I did not know. No, that's not true. There were some rich kids in my school that had computers. But like most people were typing. They were typing their papers. But like you wouldn't understand how important all that typing would be pretty soon. Yeah, well, you were what you would learn on the computer is how to write a business letter with the correct like to and from addresses indented on the right side. Is this formal but, or semi-formal? Right, Yours right. truly, sincerely. But, but then you would just do that with a computer, like exactly the same thing you did with a typewriter. Now you can do it, but it's not really a typewriter, and if you mess up, it's easier to fix. But other than that, you were you were writing something that was meant to be printed, so that you had look a business letter. I made it on my computer. That's that's a that's a really good distinction. Yeah. Right. And so anyway, this this is all. This is basically my experience with the computers. Uh, with trying to be taught computers based on a motivation that society somehow felt the kids should learn computers. All the while, of course, on my own, I'm learning about computers because I'm interested in them. And I eventually discover what's actually interesting about computers along with everybody else in the world. And that was totally disconnected from the educational process. Now, today, just to skip forward very, very far, we're not in that world anymore. Computers are a known thing. They have obvious uses in the real world. Uh, it's not speculative. The people teaching about them have no excuse not to understand them. Um, and I think it is possible today to teach kids about computers in a way that is useful. But the problem is, this gets back to should everybody learn to code. The thing that most kids need to know about computers now is not how to write software for them or how the hardware works. They need to know about computers, what they need to know about cars, which is how to drive them. You don't need to know, not every kid needs to take a class that tells you how fuel injectors work and, you know, Hmm. how the internal combustion engine works and how transmissions work. Are you going to be a mechanic who repairs cars? Then you need to know that. But if you're not, but everybody needs to learn how to drive probably uh, because if you want to get around and you don't have good public transportation... Like it's it's handy to know how to drive. Like it's yeah. That's what people know how to do, and not you know not just drive the computer, but just the whole thing. Like the internet. How like it's it is now a cultural thing that kids need to learn yeah. how to how to operate computers, how to use it. The same way we had to learn how to use the card catalog. We didn't have to know how to build a library or how to be a librarian, but we needed to go into a library and use the card catalog to find the information to do a research project. Well, in the same way, kids need to know how to use the internet to find information. They need to know the dangers of the internet. They need to know how to use computers, just the basics. And in some respects, like like the library, you you don't need someone to teach you how to use the card catalog. We could have learned that on our own by going into the library. You could have asked the librarian. It's not that difficult to learn on your own. In the same way, Kids will learn how to use computers, learn how to use their phones and whatever, like on their own. But there is something to be said for formal education. Like, yeah, your parents can teach you how to drive, but taking a driver's education class, A, spares your parents the suffering, and B, uh, lets you see blood on the highway. And no, that's not what it's there for. Um, I've never unbuckled a dead man. Right. Uh, I I really hope they never retire that. Um, But no, there's a place for formal driver education. Now, when people think about driver ed, do they think this is like the pinnacle that's going to prepare my children? They're like, no, it's just one of those things you do. And and I think tech education, for the most part, for most people, shouldn't be like drive red. We kind of know what it is. We know how cars work. We've been doing this for a while. It's an important thing for you to know. You got to know all the basics. You got to always buckle your seatbelts. You got to signal when you change lanes. Here's the places where most new drivers go wrong. Um, let's all practice together for a while. Um, and there you go. It's not. It's even more applicable because. 
computer skills, you will use them in your classes. Everyone's going to get a laptop. Everybody needs to use Google Docs to do their homework, whatever. Like, it'll be part baked into the education as using computers and then using your phones or whatever as part of your, you know. So I think that is the main and most important role of teaching kid computer teaching kids computers in in like the modern parlance is teaching them how to use them and everything about them and all the social and cultural constructs surrounding them and how to use them to do their work and i think they're learning that just like not in the dedicated here's how to use computers classes but just as part of their education as it should be right well and doing and doing their own kind of like ad hoc hacking, whether it's trying to figure out the Wi-Fi password or, you know, all, all the various ways that they're going to try and push the limits of getting to being able to get to the thing that they want or think they want by pushing the limits, maybe not by learning Perl, but by by even just with an iPad, like like discovering all kinds of things. Whether I mean, for a little kid, I mean, let's not be over obvious, but like just even learning that there's an app store and places with more uh, you know, obviously they learn that pretty quick, but I don't. I don't think that's inconsequential. I think what you're describing. I mean, the culture part, boy, that's a big thing. But there's a lot to this of like just being able to noodle around. And no, we we don't need to persuade kids about why this could be interesting, cool, or useful. But like, it's the thing. One thing I can't get out of my mind though, and that where up to the point of me being in high school, and maybe even you being in high school, you think about. And again, this does kind of relate back to my vocational wheel obsession, but. Like you don't, you don't have to be an electrical engineer to become an electrician, and you don't have to know the ins and outs of fluid dynamics to be a plumber, and you don't have to be a quote unquote computer programmer in order to know how to do word processing. Like for a long time, I think those were somewhat analogous. Like these are traits, or, or in this case, like you don't have to understand like every aspect of internal combustion to know how to like deal with spark plugs or whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like there was this very um, Functional, we can put our hands around it, usefulness to these kinds of things. These are things that we, you know, you, you must be carefully, carefully taught. These are the kinds of things that are very useful. The part that I'm, I guess I, I don't even know how to describe it myself is the, the, the spark of interest in something beyond, let's even call it computers. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the like, how do you, I mean, because we're always teaching what we know or teaching what we think they need to learn. But like, I guess I'm just super curious. It feels like we're, to paraphrase John Roddick, we're on the cusp of something very big that's going to be about more than saying, well, which do you want to learn, Python or, or Ruby? Like, it feels like there's something very significant here. And I, I don't know how to teach that, but I feel like, or how it would be taught, but I do feel like there are some fortunate young people who will be in a set of difficult to describe conditions that will make it less difficult for them to figure out whatever that next it thing is beyond just like how to put more RAM in your computer. I'm not describing this well, but like, how do you get kids excited with the spark of like, sort of like how to, like not to become John Syracuse, but like, how do you get somebody curious about even like beyond like what point in the stack and how close to the metal you are? Just this whole idea of like, what is possible with technology to get you thinking on a whole different level from like how to make your hands do these things on a keyboard that, that move the character. Uh, I, so this, the thing I just talked about, like learning to drive the car and being able, being competent with technology, being able to use it to get the jobs on the need to do, mostly the jobs involving your education in terms of writing papers or doing research projects or logging information or communicating with your friends. Like that is all important. It's a baseline. But I think there is there is more that needs to be part of education uh, involving technology and computers. And I think this gets into the whole sparking thing and, and thinking what's possible. 
in the same way that we learn, or we learned, and I think I'm assuming they still teach us things like learning about different kinds of rocks and where they come from and what they're called, learning about the water cycle, you know, learning learning about clouds and weather and precipitation, or sciences, right? Um, learning about simple equations of motion, how you can use math, the math that you learned in your math class, you can use that here to figure out if you throw a rock at this angle, this speed, where is it going to land? You can do stuff like that. Um, chemistry, learning what makes up stuff and how they react with each other. Like all that stuff that we learned in school and all those different classes. They're, they're not all, they're like science and math type classes. A lot of crap we learn in those classes that's that I assume has been taught for a really long time about all the things I just mentioned, just basic physics, geology, chemistry, has just been taught to everybody. Not because we expect them to all be geologists, physicists, or scientists, but just because it's a basic underlying education to understand that rocks aren't magic. Rain is not angels crying, right? Just where does this world that we're living in, we've discovered some things about it. Here's some basics that you should know to essentially demystify it. A lot of students find those classes very boring. Um, a lot of times chemistry doesn't spark anything in anybody, right? But at the very least, they clear the chemistry class understanding acids and bases and elements and electrons and like some, you know, some some basic stuff about how things smush us together, right? And same thing with physics. Maybe they're just, they don't, under, are not into physics and their eyes just roll over and they're not interested in it at all, but they can understand like, you can't tell where a ball is going to land. Well, actually, even though these equations are not exact and you're not accounting for friction and blah, 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 you can do some simple experiments with some blocks and some balls and get a result. It's not a mystery. You're not a magician if you can figure out how could they know where that ball was going to land. You can do surprisingly, you know, sophisticated things, but with basic math that you already learned that you didn't think was useful for anything, and it becomes comprehensible. You're like, well, I'm never going to use that again. I'm not interested in it. I'm not going to be a physics major. But it has been demystified Uh there needs to be an equivalent of all of that for computers and i don't know if you want to call that class computer science or whatever and it doesn't mean you have to teach them about ram and rom but you have to teach them this is how computers work they're not magic there's no specific around computers i mean isn't there something is it too abstract to think in terms of um like there's a class at new college called language culture and technology and in my head i'm just thinking about and i know that's that's way up in the up in the cloud stuff but like I just keep thinking of stuff like the James Burke. I don't know if you're ever into these like I was, but like stuff like connections and the day the universe changed. But like a thing that's, it's not about how a computer works necessarily, but it's about um, capital I innovation or about discovery or about, I mean, even looking at something like um, uh, Cosmos, but something where like there are these, these really strange things that happen that were a collision of technology and culture that, is that too abstract or does it, does it need to be about computers? Well, so there's... T- there's two angles. One, I think you can, one way into it is a computer science class because it's got science right in the name and it is very similar to math and it is some basics about math that might, like, I think that may be the entry point. Like, some basics, like, because you do do logic in math class normally, even like high school. You do, you know, just truth tables and and, and, and or and all those, you know, you know that business, right? Yeah. That you're, you're almost at computer science there. You're discrete but like, math like basic, and, basic logic and, stuff. And logic, right? And so I think you can have a computer science course that builds on that and does basic algorithms and stuff like that and and i think you don't even have to put computer in the name even though it's just computer science and do that and that'll be like all right this is just more of that math crap and yet would you just i manipulate some symbols and i'm not quite sure what the real world applications of this would be and then i think as a counterpart to that you need the equivalent of the class where they tell you about you know 
different kinds of rocks and uh, the water cycle and everything, where it's more concrete, where they say, and uh, and here's the thing, it's it's more concrete, but it doesn't doesn't matter what it's about. This is in my later education, where they were like, everyone needs to learn Java, everyone needs to learn this. It does not matter what they're teaching you on. They could teach you on, like, you know, until the next revolution where we have quantum computers, they could teach you on, like, an 8-bit processor in any language they want. They can teach you an assembly. They could teach you like something where you're looking at a real machine, understanding how it works, and programming it. They could teach you from the transistor level to the gate level all the way up to the CPU and the program. Like, I think one-year education could get you top-to-bottom from the entire stack of like, here's how computers work, right? Not any specific computer, not any language that you're ever going to use, or we're not even pretending you're going to use it, just so you understand, oh, it's not magic. I see. And you can say, look, everything you learned here, that's how they all work to some degree or another. All the details are going to be different. This is not applicable to anything else, but this is how it works. In the same way you said, like, this is this is how weather works. This is where the water comes from. This is why it falls down on your head. This is when it falls down. Here's some simple equations about, like, you're not getting into big detail. No one's going to become a meteorologist. No one's going to become a programmer from this class. Just want you to understand how it works. So it is demystified. And that goes hand in hand with, I think, the whole cultural learning how to drive type of thing. And like the chemistry class, like the physics class, like the math class, teaching it just in that way will spark the kids who are actually interested in it to pursue more right because in, you know in the same way like people who not aren't in, people don't become physicists you know just for the heck of it like they they start learning about physics and they become fascinated by it like you okay. don't have to you don't have to sell it to the kids the kids who are going to be interested in it are going to be interested in it but and it's, a, it's it enough to, tinder it's enough tinder to realize like if this is the kind of thing you could get excited about right and you're never gonna you're never gonna spark that interest if it is all entirely about like you will need these skills for your future career but we don't know how like i don't think my computer class has sparked anything it, what sparked people to be into computers was that on their own they discovered like a listing on the back of byte magazine and typed it in basic and saw that they could make their computer do stuff or whatever like but just like i i don't think i don't think it's the job of education to to make kids want to do particular things you just need to show them the world of possibility as we understand them at the broadest level and set it out before them. And at this point in, you know, computers are part of that and people should know how they work and they should not. It just, even that basic fundamental, like sort of survey course understanding, I think of how many survey courses, especially you, uh, liberal arts majors, mm-hmm. how many sort of survey courses you took in college that don't even like, don't even scratch the surface of some field. And yet, because you took them, you know, so much more about that field. And you like, you take like, intro art history class you know like a thousand percent more about art than someone who didn't take the, the basic intro class and then you know whether you're interested that's in that's or not. that's actually a fantastic example yeah. right. and you know you like maybe you're not going to become you get a phd in art history but like that's that feel like the most important job of education especially is doing on a lower level just demystify and explain how things work at a level that even people who are not interested in them will for the rest of their life go all right computers i don't know anything about how you do that specific thing but I kind of know roughly how they work. Yeah, that's that's a really yeah. That's why I I feel like I'm bristling a little bit at the word computers for a number of reasons. Even though I think it's sensible, your art example is great because I don't know if I would call this. I want to call this my favorite class from college. I what I what I will say is that, barring anything else in my terrible memory, it is the class that surprisingly moved the needle for me on a topic in a way that no other class did, and that was 20th century painting. 
And so that's basically like, um, I want to say like, not even, it was before Cezanne. It's basically post-impressionist till more, really mostly the sixties, but you know, but basically covering, um, Cezanne, whatever, Picasso, Brock, like all, you know, all, all the painters. And it was, it's a whistle stop tour. Understandably. That's a lot of stuff to cover in one semester, but there's never been an, I can't think of another class I took in college that made me so excited about a topic that I found utterly uninteresting and bewildering before. And to be honest, one reason I took it was my girlfriend at the time was, um, she wasn't fine arts, but she was, she had a, you know, heavy concentration in art and got me interested in it. And it was every class I just sat there with my jaw dropped. Now, why do I think that's important? Because, like, first of all, like, I didn't know that was something I could even be that interested in. It always seemed silly to me. Painting seems silly. I didn't learn anything. I mean, like, I learned words like impasto. I learned about the color field and staining the canvas without gesso. And I learned all that kind of stuff. I don't know how to do any of that. I cannot draw. I cannot make things that look like things. But that was one of those classes that as as like a James Burke series is to my thinking about technology and culture, this was for a visual art where like I feel like and no, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert by any means. But you're you're, you're absolutely right in that it gave me a timeline, a meaningful timeline, like as in like the reason Picasso got to where he was was because Cezanne made these buildings that were made out of basic shapes. Doesn't that you look at this painting and you go like Cezanne, what's the big deal? Nobody painted like Cezanne at the time. Well, I mean, so to speak, there, there were others, but nobody made these incredibly like simplified little structures that gave you the idea of a building without being made to look exactly. That was considered very strange at the time. The impressionists, like Oscar Wilde says, after you've looked at an impressionist painting, you never see water the same way again. And the scales fell from my eyes. Where I, I don't feel like an expert, but I feel like my gosh, I'm so glad I spent that semester in that class because not only did it make me excited about something I didn't know I could love, but it gave me enough context with that timeline and the terminology to be able to go explore it a little more. And it's not something I do every day, but like, I'm so grateful I had that. How do we do that for somebody with technology? Is it, can you do anything analogous? Well, I was thinking a music theory class is a similar type of thing where, you know, oh, see, I feel like music theory is the opposite. Music theory was so dry to me. Did you like music theory? I I didn't have a good music theory class, but I, I, in the categories I'm, I'm lumping into was like, Earlier education has to sort of concentrate on the more common, more broad things, which is why you get an art, you know, art history survey course in college, but not so much in high school and certainly not in middle school or elementary school. Like as you as you go farther in education, you can get to the more the more esoteric. Right. And music theory and a lot of the fine arts um there's a place for music education at the high school and middle school levels, but it's less about here's how you write your own music and more about here's how music works like as a performer, as a player. So right, you've got instruments and being part of a band, and that's a social thing and learning a skill of playing an instrument. And you learn some music theory or whatever, but in the most, most, you know, the kids aren't writing this music. They're not becoming composers or whatever. That is a later education type of thing. Same thing with art. You learn about art and the basics of of art and maybe some famous artists and you do things in your art class but you have to wait until you get to college to learn about the specific you know people artists who lived in during this time and did these painting styles or whatever because that is more that's that's more towards the college type thing computers and technology i think at this point does belong down in the pre-college education levels probably mostly in high school because at that point you have enough math and logic to do stuff but basically at the high school level i do think that 
it deserves to be there down with learning why it rains and the basics of chemistry and math and calculus and all that other stuff. Um, and I think you, you know, and then it, it's a path that leads onward from there. Like obviously when you get, if you decide you want to major in this, that you can go much, much farther with this. Um, and that, I think that actually the argument gets more difficult as you go into that. It's like, all right, when they're in college, should they be learning a language that they're going to use in, uh, you know, is it, is a vocational wheel or is it like, you're just going to learn even more computer science at what point do you learn the uh, the computer equivalent of uh, double entry accounting, like how to use version control and how to actually manage software projects or whatever? Or is that the thing we never teach you? We just teach you the academic type. That that's much more complicated debate. But I think down at the high school level, I, I feel like technology and computers should be included in the high school student style survey course things, along with. All their other survey courses in whatever language they supposedly learn and whatever chemistry and physics uh-huh. and math they learn, because that is all very broad and building you up to something. And I think if we do a decent job of that, the people who are interested in computers will have a foundation to go on from. The people who aren't interested in computers will have a basic enough understanding of it to, for the rest of their life, not feel uh, haunted by the, the ghosts in these machines, right? Whereas if nobody gets... The, the course about Picasso, I don't feel like they will it, they will encounter it so much in their life that it will be this persistent mystery that nags at them, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's how I think the hierarchy breaks down for this. And it's weird that during our lifetime, computers went from a thing no one even knew how to teach, let alone whether it should be taught or, or what about it should be taught, to a thing that now I'm saying is so important to the lives of every single person, regardless of what they do for a living, that it should be in high school level education and multi-pronged in high school how to use it how to drive how to you know all the cultural aspects of it and how you're gonna need a job and also brief overview of the fact that these things aren't magic because it's so important and so pervasive that it will touch every one of their lives in innumerable ways uh you know in the same way that the weather will or geology will or just you know you're living in this world let me tell you what we know about it you're going to be living in a world with computers it's important for uh, people to know the basics about it um, and I think there is room for AP programming class, which they actually have now. They didn't have when I was a kid. Like AP level classes are like, okay, so if you already know all this stuff or you know you're going to be into it, we will actually, you know, teach you real programming with the real language, even though you're probably not going to use it when you graduate because things change too fast. But whatever, we'll give you a test on it and you'll get an right. AP grade and you know you're going to major in you know, computer science or engineering or something like that. Uh, that's where I think it fits in. Whereas, like I said, for the the other things... A lot of the fine arts, music theory, music composition, uh, art history, even really hardcore history. We teach, you know, how much history can we teach them in high school? Not even that much because there's a lot of it to go around. That still gets pushed out to higher education, later education, because most people are not going to, you know, uh, run up against the need to understand a lot about, you know, China in the 1500s for the rest of their lives. Right. Even though it's super interesting (laughs) and people love to take a survey course about it. But you have to you have to choose what things you're going to teach at the lower levels. You know, you're you're not going to try to teach a bunch of kindergarten students uh, how to do algebra, and it's not because they're not necessarily ready for it. It's because like you have to build up to it, and so I don't think yeah. you built up those things. I'm I'm I've become very reluctant to blame this on other people because, um, I know it's a lot of it's a, my own failing, but like in retrospect, yeah, I wish I'd been better at math. I wish I tried harder at math. I wish I'd seen value. In, in even attempting to be good at math. <clears throat> I had it in me 
when I was in primary school, but pff, zero interest. But history is the one that really gets under my skin because now I, I feel like I know so little about it, even as I find it such a fascinating topic. And I don't even know where to begin because, I mean, you've got the challenge of having to take 40 kids and you have a class. Let's, let's start with high school. So 10th grade, you got, we had world history. You have to teach the history of the world <laughs> to 40 kids over a year. And then you really drill down on 11th grade. We have to teach the history of America, you know, over the year. And then 12th grade is when we went into, like, American government. But, you know, that, that's an awful lot to have to get across. Like, there's a lot of uh, treaties and uh, – uh, Yeah, that, that granularity level is like, look, are we learning the history of America? Or now are we going to these specific bullet point things that are, like, way higher resolution than the rest of the stuff we've been talking about? And it really – you get you have a forest and trees problem in a lot of ways where, like, my – my daughter is uh, is reading um, not the Chernow book, but but there's a, a pretty good uh, kids uh, biography of um, Alexander Hamilton that she's reading right now because she's she's absorbed that musical entirely. She's she talks about it constantly. I this I mean I feel like Alexander Hamilton, if you uh, you know are okay with the swears, might be the Harry Potter of right now. Where like I I she is absolutely she's I mean like constantly asking questions of okay so then how does john adams fit into this and like and monroe's this guy and who's the guy that was sick and then alexander wrote the rest and like she has really internalized so much of that and this is not unusual like every little kid that has access to this particular piece of art develops an attachment to it as i say kind of like harry potter there are a lot of kids that got into reading because of harry potter that's become like conventional wisdom at this point but like i i feel i feel like a sadness in my heart that there was not a thing like that for me what 1776 i guess but i i did not I really I pushed back hard against the pile of facts that I was supposed to memorize for a given test to be able to fill in the blanks and stuff like that. And I, I and again I don't want to blame anybody else, but it's really frustrating to me in retrospect that now something that is so meaningful and there's another program I do with another John where this kind of stuff comes up a lot, and I sit there in awe of his mostly pretty good memory for like what led up to World War II. And I, I don't feel like I ever really got that. I don't know who to fault for that, but like, I feel like I would have had so much more texture to my young adult life if I had been better at like being able to put those stories together in, in a way that was sensible. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. That'll get you 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it is worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands. It takes away the pain points, stuff like worrying about hosting, scaling, or what to do if you get stuck with something. Squarespace can help you with all of that. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level, with no coding required. Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Their site templates are just stunning to look at. They all feature responsive design. They're going to make your site look great on all sizes and kinds of devices. This is really just getting started because Squarespace has tons of awesome features. They have 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. They have a Squarespace's commerce platform, which allows you to add a store to your Squarespace site. 
And they have the beautiful cover page functionality. You can make great-looking single-page websites. If you want to stretch Squarespace even further, they got you covered. you got to check out their dev platform. This is what lets you dig into the code and tinker with your own Squarespace site. And you got to hear this. If you sign up for a year, you're going to get a free domain name. You can call your site whatever you want. And Squarespace plans start at a very affordable $12 per month. So please go and start a trial today with no credit card required. Start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase, and it will show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. I think the history education from, you know, kindergarten up through the end of high school, I think from my childhood, they did a pretty good job. In terms, like, they have a, it, there's a lot of years. There's a lot of years in recorded history for humans, right? Uh, I mean, and the same thing, the earth science people have the same problem. Like, then the earth cooled, right? There's a lot of ground to cover. Um, <laughs> right. But I feel like they did a pretty good job of hitting the highlights of, like, here's where civilization, civilization started. Teach you about Mesopotamia. Uh, ancient civilizations, some stuff about them, and then you necessarily at some point jump to, here's the place where we live and the history of our country. We're not going to tell you about the history of every country, but suffice it to say, all, the other, all these other countries have histories too, but here's a whole bunch of crap about our, you know, in broad strokes, we had some wars. We're going to tell you about all those in broad strokes. Like, there's a lot of ground to cover. I feel like they hit most of the highlights, get most of the big things from, obviously, an America-centric perspective, Right. The only thing I think that was missing, because it was right, there's like, there's so much more to know. And sometimes, especially if you're not interested, you really do miss the forest for the trees, especially if the way they try to teach you it is to memorize like trees and dates and, and names and stuff like that. But they, they have a lot to cover. And I think they cover most of the broad strokes. The one thing I feel like history education was missing in kindergarten and high school, given that they can't really get any more granular than they are, and given that they can't cover everything, was... I don't know if this is a course or it's woven throughout, but the meta idea that you're going to learn a lot of things about history through your whole education. And like I don't know, I guess you would call this class like learning from history or patterns in history. It's like you're going to see the same things come up over and over and over again. It's sort of like, you know, those who do not learn from history, like where is that where does that expression come from? A lot of the same things happened a lot of times. A lot of civilizations enslaved other civilizations there's a lot of war war usually happens for similar sets of reasons uh familiar dynasties assassinations battles for land uh religions like and they do like they hit on all the stuff in various places but i never really feel like it's like a a course that was more granular but just went through you don't have time for this but like you can do an entire year on things that people worship and why like you know just the same thing coming up over and over again over hundreds of thousands of years this is one of my just going over and over and over and like and here's this to the point where you can't do to the point where people get bored with it or like okay we get it people are constantly sacrificing other humans you know like whatever whatever the thing they're going to pick like just to to see the patterns just because that's i think the real forest is lost that you know you have to know specifically why this war took place like it's it's so important to know who killed what archduke that caused what whatever's like all right you know that's a thing right that's that's knowing the details of history and you can answer trivia questions but like right the big picture of like 
Why do people get into wars? What are the causal factors here? Because there's patterns and they repeat. We have a long enough history to say these things happen over and over and over again. And I think that is the most important thing that people who are not going to be historians and don't want to win pub trivia need to come out of uh, history class with is when things happen in their life, like in the real life and the real time and the future going forward, they can say, oh, this is not the first time this has happened. Right. Something like this has happened hundreds of other times. And even if I can't remember the specific examples, I pattern match and I go, oh, I see what's happening. That person is a demagogue. I'm trying not to get into that. No, no, but you're... I've uh, seen that before. Like, oh, and I don't remember these guys' names, but there was this guy did this and then this guy did this to these people and this guy did that. Like, to recognize patterns from history, even if you can't remember the specific things. And the idea is over the course of a survey type education of, you know, up to high school, that you will do that yourself, but it's never emphasized. It's never really like, let me break it down for you. You got all this history education, and it was actually for a reason, and here it is, and let's take some examples from real life. And, you know, the kids aren't going to be able to say, oh, I know what that is. That's just like the war of whatever. But they don't well, remember it's, that stuff. It's also, but it's also, it's also warring. I don't want to go too far on this because I, I don't want to put this too strongly. But you're also warring with the need to enculturate. So, you know, it's there's this funny continuum of, like, when you start in public school, a lot of it is about, you know, how to stand in line and citizenship. And we don't hit each other and that kind of stuff. But there's always been a certain level of enculturation. There's going to be some stuff about the Native Americans, but maybe not as much as you'll learn in college. But the, the, there's a pattern to what you're describing that's, that's so generalized to sound silly that I would put this way, which is how did, at a given time, a snapshot in, in what we call history, how did people come to believe the thing that they were positive was true? And what changed that made people eventually believe something different and that to me that's so abstract but you could take that in such and this again i I hate to keep bringing up james burke except oh my god his shows were so important for me in getting excited about how technology and culture intertwine so like understanding like instead of saying like oh these idiots believe that the earth was flat it's like well how did they come to believe that how did how and how did that become something that was then expressed in the decisions that they made in life and in their governance etc or in their their papacy all of that stuff like how did and then what came along that caused that to change what changed their mind or what changed their grandchildren's mind etc cetera, etc cetera. and like to me if you do that for like several generations you can't help but be curious about it with yourself. How did I come to believe the thing that I'm sure is true? And what will it be that makes me see the world differently? Yeah, the the the, the enculturation part, like there are some important parts of that, like the class that I don't really have anymore, but that I think our parents probably had more of is like civics class. Like yeah. here's kind of like how to drive the car version of being a citizen. Here's yeah. what you're supposed to do if you're a citizen. Here's how the basics work. Here's what your role in it is. Here's what the other people's roles in it are. You could be one of those people if you want to do that. Here's what that's like. You know, that's there's still some of that, and it's woven into the history class, but basic civics of, like, how to drive and be a citizen. Kind of like it's hand-in-hand hand with the class that teaches you how to balance your checkbook. Yeah, like consumer, the consumer math is a class that was, like, you know, it was kind of the bottom of the rung academically, but it was basically that right. you need to get out of, of junior high with the ability to have a bank account and understand right. how money moves. But the, the it gets tied up with the history one because they also want to give you the culture of, like, we think slavery was wrong. Like, that is a message that... Now. For, for the most, <laughs> yes. For the most part, most public school educations will emphasize to the children. Like, they want to make value judgments because we're trying to teach you how to be a citizen in the world. Like, owning other people is bad. That can everyone agree with that? Like, and just try to get everyone on the same page with that, and to do some examples. Um, they, I think for the Native American example, 
for the most part, they kind of try to get on the same page with like, um, uh, coming to a land where a bunch of people already live and killing them all and taking all their land. Not that's not good. It's a thing that happened. Let's tell you about it. We'll give you the reasons behind it. But in general, we frown on that, right, guys? Everyone frowny face, right? Yeah, Especially we yeah. can all we can all safely frown on that because now basically all the land is claimed except for the land nobody wants. So it's not going to come up in the future for the most part. We think, but not really. Since the water war start, but anyway. Um, it's, we're but I mean, just, just teaching them. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but like it, one thing part that drives me crazy that I think is fraught with the enculturation stuff is that it's not enough to just teach people that owning other people is bad. You also have to teach them that the person, and again, let's look at Hamilton. Like the person, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm just beating that drum just in this one case because it is turning out to be useful. But in that case, so the guy who wrote the Declaration, most of the Declaration of Independence, owns slaves. That's an incredibly complicated topic that's super interesting. And it's also it's teaching you something about this about subtlety about not everything changes in one day. Well, that's that's into the pattern matching thing because it's like, all right, have people ever come to a land where people already lived and killed them all, and taken their stuff before? Has that ever happened before, or was it just did it happen for the first time in America with the Native Americans? And was it just one oopsie with us? Yeah, <laughs> history class would be like, no, actually, that happened all the time. In fact, it's, it's basically like the, the founding, history of Europe, <laughs> the founding event of the spread of humanity. This is like. All, it's the only thing that happened. It happened so many more times, I don't have time to teach you about all the examples. And in every one of the cases, we can see these same patterns happening. Like, And then just get people to see those patterns and then say, you know, like, like you won't you won't have to have this course where you're trying to, trying to, like, give morality lessons to people to tell them, like, now let me tell you in the black studies class or right. whatever. We want you to memorize that these things are wrong. Right. That systemic racism is a thing that exists. Because if you teach people, especially as you get into later education, but, but you know, pick one thing in your pattern class. If you teach people the long, long history of people coming into a place where other people already live and killing them all and taking all their stuff and how that worked out long term, especially if you didn't kill every, every single one of them, but they were still kind of there with you, like, that is, this is not the first time this has happened in America. And so you don't have to teach people about systemic racism in America, if you just teach them that pattern and all the historic ones, which are safer to talk about because it's like ancient Romans, ha, those silly guys, you know, whatever, like Egypt, like you can teach them about that in a safe kind of detached way. And I feel like if you do a good enough job of that, you don't, you're not overcoming this massive hurdle. You don't have to go to this morality play type thing of like, I'm going to teach you about, you know, uh, racism in America and why it's still a thing, even though slavery is gone, which is the thing our schools don't even attempt to teach for the most part. But you won't have to teach it if you've done a good job teaching education. No one will look at you, you know, like, what do you mean there's racism in America? We and I learned about the Civil War and that and slavery was over, done and done. But they'll be like, no, I learned about the 8,000 other times this happened in other places. And guess what? The subjugated people still live with them and were treated really badly for hundreds of years and it didn't go away. In fact, some of it continues to this day. Yeah. And, you know, like, to, to draw the threads through history, to, you know, to not teach it to them as if it's a thing they have to know. And then you, then you don't have to be like, here's what it means to be an American, and here's about patriotism, and here's about the things we want you to believe to be a good person or whatever. That should fall out naturally from the basic understanding of history and that almost nothing that's going on with people today is unprecedented and that that silly saying about history exists for a reason uh, and I would hope that like that would that, that would emerge from a good education in history and not have to be taught as a specific thing. That's a great place to stop, but I have a bonus question. Give me some anti-patterns for technology in education. What are things that are maybe not such a great idea, or what are the things you think 
do you see things happening now that you wish weren't happening? Or like, if you were brought in to say like, hey, help us avoid the landmines here, what kinds of things are schools particularly well suited to do and not do? What should they not be doing? Well, so one uh, common anti-pattern is in like determining what you're going to teach our kids about technology is worrying about the specifics. What programming language am I teaching them? Mm -hmm. What computer are they working on? None of that matters. None of that matters any more than it matters like what lab equipment you're using for science or what kind of pencil you're using for math class <laughs> or what kind of calculator. Like Erlenmeyer flask. <laughs> yeah, that's not what you're, you're not teaching them. Like it's not, it is not like, not that the vocational school is a dirty word, but it's like you're not preparing them for a lifetime of programming in Scheme or using Logo to do their future job. Like that's not what you're teaching them. So any time wasted arguing about they should be learning Java. No, they should be learning C. No, they should be like, that's pointless. So you can save a lot of time by just not worrying about that. As long as the thing you're teaching them covers the problem space well enough, like you're not teaching them on something that's too simple to get into the more complicated algorithms or whatever. Um, so that's, that's one anti pattern. Uh, the other one is thinking that every person needs to know how to code, which is this popular thing. Like, I think that's just mostly like a, misunderstand the people who say that or, or promote that are mostly trying to say exactly the same thing that i am that everyone should know how computers work which is true but phrasing it that way is wrong because it's like saying you know everyone needs to know how to repair an engine no they don't i mm -hmm. think everyone needs to know how an engine works they don't think it's magic and so they'll get ripped off by the mechanic but you don't need to know how to actually fix it yourself you don't need to know how to actually program it yourself like because that's not that's not the future of literacy or whatever you don't, you know, if you need to, used to be able to, you just needed to know how to read and write, but now you need to know how to program. Nope, nope, no, you don't. So that is another thing that I don't think anyone really truly believes that, but it's phrased that way a lot. And if you pursue that, you'll be sad because that's not a thing that everybody needs to know how to do. Um, let's see, what other anti-patterns? I'll probably get better as, they, as my kids get older and start to get into this, but I guess maybe the other anti-pattern is for, you know, for people who are computer professionals, um, I mean, this is true of anything, like pushing your kids into learning about computers because that's what you do for a living. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. It's just as bad as like, because I am a plumber, you're going to learn to be a plumber too. What if your kid doesn't want to be a plumber? I'm a coal miner. Your grandfather was a coal miner. <laughs> Right. Like if they want to do that, fine. If you're passing on, it's probably more complicated if you're passing on a family business or whatever. But like I have been very conscious. I've tried several times to teach my kids things about computers, but I've been very conscious. I say, look, if they're not into it, they're going to be into what they're into. Let them be into their thing and don't try to make them be into your thing. You know, and we both do it. Like we both try to make them like, hey, I like this, you know, TV show. I like to play these video games. I yeah. like, I, we push it more than we would push it if we didn't like them. But on the other hand, at a certain point, you're like, well, if they're interested in it, they're going to be interested. And just because I wasn't interested in playing a musical instrument when I was there, maybe they will be, right? And, like, they're their own person. You have to let them do it. And I think that's the – that's not on, like, an educational policy level. That's more on a, on a personal level, assuming that a lot of people who are listening to this are computer geeks. Uh, to be okay with the idea that you're going to have kids who who have not, quote-unquote, learned computers and sometimes to me it's frustrating because especially my son is 12 now and he knows nothing about computers he just knows nothing <laughs> and it's unfathomable because of it. by the time i was his age i was like consuming every scrap of knowledge about computers that i could possibly find but just because he's not doesn't mean he's not consuming every scrap of knowledge about whatever the heck he's interested in right and so i just have to like let that go 
and then just resign myself to doing tech support for my kids as well as my parents because that is my lot in life. <laughs> and I, and that, you know that's fine. Like I, I want the thing is I want him. To it must be hard though. Work. This must be difficult. I mean, I don't say especially yeah. with your son, but I mean, just because well, he's, I, he's I don't older. say because of his gender, but because of his age, there must be a yeah. part of you that's like really wanting to nudge him. I, I mean, I, I nudge both my kids. Like if you, if you were interested in learning this, I can teach it to you. But you know, they're like even if they are interested, they're probably better learning it on their own than learning from their parent. No, you know, we'll just ruin like. it by liking it. Exactly, but. You just have to let them be into what they're going to be into. And that's it's a good way to look at, like, what do they need to know to be okay versus, you know, if they're not going to be a programmer, if they're not going to be into computer stuff, they don't need to know any of this stuff anyway. They just need to know the basics. And I feel like they're, you know, seeing my son, you know, when he came to middle school, have to use computers so much more to do his schoolwork. is forcing him to learn more about it because you need to do it to do your job. And... And they obviously know much more about, you know, iOS than the Mac to get platform specific because they use them more frequently. And that's probably their future anyway. And so it's it's just like trying to, you know, you need to learn how to use a slider rule. It's like, no, I don't. Well, you're still going to use it. What if you don't have a calculator? What if the power goes out? What if you don't have batteries? Like, <laughs> seriously, yeah. <laughs> I don't need the abacus. I don't need the slider rule just because you use one. Right. So I feel kind of sometimes I kind of feel the same way. Like, you don't know where the menu bar is. Like, well, the menu bar probably is not going to feature heavily in your life in the future. Who knows? Well, the Mac, like the Mac was the first platform that had a menu bar in every window. <sighs> Kids, you know, they don't learn about windows at home. They're going to learn about it on the street. There's nothing wrong with gala luncheons, lad. I had more gala luncheons than you've had hot dinners. Remember that one? <laughs> he's the the poet whose son wants to be a coal miner. Monty Python. Uh, I I figured it was Monty Python from the accent, but I don't. <laughs> I don't have a very good Yorkshire accent. I need to work on it.